Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove, episode 109. My name is Tom Baker. It is great to be back with you as we continue to kind of uh, do as many shows as we can. Um, have missed a couple of weeks again. Did not intend to do that, but uh, working hard on uh, the Steering Wheel Nation brand and putting the finishing touches um, onto our new community uh, platform that we're developing with the app and uh, with the Magic app. And we'll uh, have more on that later in the show. We hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving and we are excited to be back in the driver's seat here. And we are starting off with a driver, a special guest, uh, because there was some big news that I'm sure many of you uh, have already uh, seen and heard and know about uh, that came out uh, over the Thanksgiving week, and that is that um, MSS and ISMA are now basically one schedule um, and uh, functioning as, I, I guess, as one organization. Um, and so uh, brought on a gentleman who is one of my favorite guests whenever we can get him on, and uh, Mike McVetta is I know a driver that uh, all of us really think highly of and really are appreciative of because he's one of the few drivers who um, really does uh, a lot of traveling back and forth uh, from Ohio to Oswego and and, uh, and tries to make as many shows as he can. So, Mike, it's great to have you back on the program. Um, And I hope that you and your family had a happy Thanksgiving. I'm curious to first of all talk to you about this latest development um, with MSS and ISMA basically merging um, into one schedule. And, you know, this this kind of changes things a little bit because in a way um, it simplifies everything. And yet in another way, it's kind of interesting because it looks like now a majority of the schedule is going to be Oswego and the Midwest with uh, maybe the Hopefully the Star Classic uh, will be back on the schedule and maybe one other show thrown in. But it looks like an Oswego, Ohio um, sort of schedule. What are your What are your thoughts about this? I, I, first, uh, thanks for having me, Tom. Absolutely. I appreciate you uh, bringing me on. Uh, I always enjoy uh, talking on your show. Uh, as far as the merger, I, 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 I can see positives and negatives. Um, both sides of it you know i being a midwest guy you know, i got my teeth cut with the msa uh, before jumping to the isma circuit so um certainly in the current situation where you know we don't really have a, a pile of cars to draw from from it certainly makes sense to, to merge you know we're stronger together um, but i do have a little concern that it might make it harder for um, some new teams to get involved now, that's interesting because, you know, one of the things that I, I said after I saw the, the um, announcement about this is that I love that it's one schedule, but what I'm not hearing is I'm not hearing how we're going to get new blood into the division. 
Um, now you're you seem to be saying that you think this schedule and this merger may make it even harder to get new blood into the division. What do you what what do you mean by that? Well, you, you look at you know somebody coming in new to super modified uh, a prepping the prepping a you know a, a team to run. 50 and 100 lap races is a whole lot bigger than prepping a team to run 30 lap races. And it's a little more intimidating, um, you know, from, you know, a new person coming in. Um, but one thing I will say is there's such a great group of people in super modifieds that, you know, a new person coming in, there's everybody in the pit area looking to give you a hand and help you out. It is interesting. I mean, that's an interesting, uh, I hadn't thought about that. I don't, uh, I, I would love to hear some other um, drivers comment on that, but um, I obviously the longer the race, the more, you know, prep it takes. But um, I mean, my first thought was that it just, it just, it feels like where, what, what the prevailing mindset is or the prevailing approach is if we just can simplify the schedule and then, you know, make enough money happen that people mm-hmm. will start racing supers. And, and I, I feel like th- that th- what this doesn't address is the cost of, of operating a car. And, and um, so I thought that's where you were going. Um, but it is interesting that you're saying that maybe somebody would be less likely to come in because the races are longer that, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, I that, think it's go ahead. certainly more intimidating. That's for a new person coming in. Um, and, you know, I think there's really a lot of, I don't want to call it false information, but it really is. Um, super modifieds don't have to be expensive. Um, you know, I know several of us, uh, myself and uh, the Lasecki clan, you know, when you build all your own stuff, um, it's downright affordable. But I wonder how many people have the ability to build their own stuff. I think that, that, and that's the challenge, right? And, you know, because, um, and, and again, I don't want to make this a, a, a giant negative. Um, but it, but since you kind of went down that road, I, I think it's worth some discussion. I think the, the, the state of motorsports in general is that you're seeing the classes that are growing are, you know, classes that are extremely affordable. Um, you know, even all the way down to, to go-kart racing, um, which is enjoying a renaissance in a couple of different, um, disciplines of, of that side of the sport. Um, you know, whereas with the super modifieds being so much of the super modified car now is, is, you know, our handmade parts. Um, Mm -hmm. it's not like you can, you know, you can go, go buy parts, all the parts out of a, you know, out of a catalog um, right. you know what I mean? So, um, sure. I, I just think this is, it's, it's an interesting move. And I, I honestly think this is a great move on the face of it because I think it simplifies the explanation. If, if somebody's saying, well, you know, okay, super modifieds, but wh- is, we got this group over here doing this and these rules, and we got this group over here doing this and these rules, we got this group over here, you know, doing this and these rules. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it simplifies it a little bit. Um, I mean, as a driver now with one schedule, 
um, again, you're one of the drivers who's always, you know, made the effort to travel and to run a Swiggo and run with the uh, Swiggo tail even. Um, and you had a great run in the classic um, until, you know, heartbreak, um, you know, which I, I mean, I, I, my, my, my heart just sank for you because uh, you had a top five. I was like, my gosh, he's going it, to, it's like, ugh. Um, but, um, I mean, I'm just curious kind of, where do you see this? Do you feel like what's the, you know, what's the pulse in Ohio and in your group, how many, how many of these drivers do you think will actually, um, make an effort to make a good majority or all of the races? Uh, I don't really have a good pulse on that, Tom. I know many people are planning to run the whole deal, um, you know, for us, Oswego is six, seven hours, yeah. and, and that's pretty consistent across the Ohio guys. Um, yeah. It's not it's not Star, right? Star's 12, 13 hours for us to right. go to. Uh, so that's certainly a little more challenging, and, you know, with diesel at $6 a gallon, oh it gets really gosh. expensive, too. Yeah. But um, the way the schedule's set up right now, um, you know, not knowing what the TBDs are, uh, going from Oswego to Berlin uh, is, is really nice for an Ohio guy. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty convenient schedule. There's not back-to-back shows. Um, so if you do unfortunately get tore up along the way, you've got some time to get things repaired too. Well, that's uh, that's a big plus, I would think. And, you know, I'm hoping that the Oswego guys, more of the Oswego guys will support this because I think that's what's going to make the big difference. Um, you know, it, it, it feels to me like, um, this would be a schedule that basically will take out most of, not all of, because I think there will be, you know, maybe three or four out of New England that may may support, but it will take out most of the New England cars, um, depending, again, on what, you know, what happens for purses. But I would guess the TBDs, I just taking a flyer, I would think the Star Classic will be back on the schedule. So that would probably be one of them. And then maybe I'm, I'm still hoping for Jennerstown, honestly, or Lancaster, one or the other, because I think either of those two tracks um, would be great tracks to hold races at. It would probably draw really good crowds and hopefully be, again, tracks that, you know, it would seem like Pennsylvania or even Western New York would still be doable for you guys from Ohio. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, I was fortunate enough to run a, a musty sprint car at Jennerstown, uh, last year. And, oh. uh, so many people asked me when the supers were coming. Um, and, and I hope that the, the promoters are listening, uh, to the fans. Cause uh, I know a lot of people would love to go back to that place. It's just a beautiful facility. Uh, and same with Lancaster. That's another beautiful facility. Um, just a great track. Every yeah. time we would go there with his mother stands would be packed. So you know, hopefully we can get some of those tracks back and put on some great shows with good car counts. Yeah, they've really, well, that's the key, isn't it? I mean, that's, you know, when you get 10 or 11 cars or 12 cars in a, in a, in a race, that's, that's just not a good car count. And especially for the type of purses that, you know, you would demand um, to book the show, you've got to, you've got to get, you find a way to get 20 plus at least, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so, uh, I think, I mean, honestly, I'm stoked to, to see this new revised schedule. And I, I hope maybe this is step one. Cause I still, I mean, you know, at the end of all this, um, I still feel like, I mean, for you, 
Um, I've had Jeff Abel on before, and Jeff has basically said, look, we don't, we, our car is very easy to convert from the, the tail wing to the top wing. Um, mm-hmm. Now, is that the same for you? I mean, do you have it so that it's, you know, it's a pretty simple kind of, you know, changeover where it doesn't involve a lot of extra parts or different parts or a different, completely different setup or whatever? I mean, what is your... What are your thoughts? Because it still seems to me that at some point I feel like we sh- we should be looking to get everybody the same. Yeah, I agree, Tom. For me, it's you know I change four springs, uh, change the wing, and a couple clicks on the shocks. Okay, um, that's the extent of my changeover. So uh, it takes maybe maybe an evening to do. Okay, uh, it's not complicated, and uh, it seemed to work pretty decent for us. So, do you feel like now? Um, because uh, first of all. And, and I've said this before on the show, I'll say it again. Um, and, and, and I'll, I'll add to this that, that, uh, I, I hope that John DeCotra is recovering nicely from his surgery that he had and, um, that he'll be back to a hundred percent very soon. And, um, you know, I, I just can't say enough about the work that John and his group of people did to put on that, uh, wing challenge series this past year or this year um you know I, I i'm curious how how do you think it changes this that the dynamic of that now that you're adding the uh mr super modified show and the classic to to the points and to basically to that series pretty much you know, at this point now, you got to be able to to run with both both wings, the top wing and the tail wing, as part of the series. How do you think that changes? Do you think more of the the guys your your way and the Isma guys will actually convert and run the uh, run the two races? I mean, I, I know that's certainly what Johnny was going for, and, and you know, kudos to him for um, you know going out and and promoting that deal and getting all that extra funding to, to make those shows what they were. Um, as far as guys going out, uh, you know, I hope it does. Um, I know a few guys out this way are, are looking at getting wings mounted on the car Good. Um, to run at Oswego. Great. Uh, I, I hope that, you know, my efforts at Classic proved that you don't need a special car to run up there. Uh, and, you know, I would hope that Abel's efforts – prove that you don't need a special car to run with the wing at the end of the day we're all super modified and um they can go either way you just have to make a few tweaks to to get them dialed in well that's uh that's great to hear and i and i i hope that um i hope that that happens because i think that um at some point we need to get as much unification back into the super modified world as we can and then i think we need to we need to figure out how to make it easier and more desirable for um you know for people to to come into the to the big block um the small block division seems to be growing fairly nicely of course it's big in new england it it grew quite a bit at oswego and um you know i feel like that formula is there and and as long as they don't change the rules uh, anytime soon, I think it'll just keep growing, but the big blocks, I feel like need something and the prevailing thinking seems to be, we just need more money. And, um, and so, I mean, I, I don't know what to make of that. I, I, I've never, 
I've never thought that, especially if it's money to win, I think money to start is key here. I think the more money you pay at the back of the field, um, to, you know, basically as start money, the, the, the easier it makes for somebody to go to a race and know that they're at least going to get most of, if not all of their investment in that race event back. Um, and so my feeling has always been, if you could get to a point where you could make sure that everybody can have, you know, a set of tires and, you know, and maybe fuel, um, as, as their start, you know, starting point, um, then you've at least, you've at least made it much easier for them to travel. And especially for somebody like you or anybody from Ohio that would go to Oswego and of course, vice versa on the other end. Um, when you're traveling six or seven hours and diesel six bucks a gallon, you know, you want to make it as inexpensive to go and compete at the race as possible. Right. Right. And, and, you know, just looking at, you know, again, all the work Johnny Nakotra did at Oswego to get those shows to 1200 to start uh, yep. was huge. The Berlin exactly. purses are, yep. are, are fantastic. And, and I, I had the opportunity to run that sprint car a few times and then uh USAC silver crown car a few times and looking at the purses uh, in comparison, um, certainly through the middle of the field and towards the back, uh, the super purses way more uh, than what the other groups are and the expenses aren't less. So, so the costs are, what you're saying is the costs are basically the same to run a silver crown car or a, or a, uh, a, a musty sprint car as a super modified for a race. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I actually think the, the USAC car may be more, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to drive for Dick and Deborah Meyer, so I don't see the full financial right, end of it right. on what things cost. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, the USAC tires aren't any cheaper. The, the engines certainly aren't any cheaper. Right. Yeah, um, we know that, you know, must on the must or on the American racer tire. Um, I'm not sure they're significantly cheaper. Uh, and, you know, there's still a lot of people bolting four tires on a race. So, you know, there's not a lot of savings there. And those sprint car motors are you know, just ungodly expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it, you know, trying to get to, I've always felt like the, the cheaper the cost of competition, you know, the more likely you are to, in, 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 you know, entice more people to go compete. And I think we need the new blood because I think they're, Honestly, I think there are a lot of people with supers in the garage who just don't have any desire to race them anymore. And and yeah. so I think you got to get you got to be able to get get fresh blood into the cars and so um you know, I know John's theory is you just got to you know you got to get more money. It's it's basically just money. And so if we, you know, hopefully this schedule is an is a more marketable schedule now because you're marketing one schedule that basically mm-hmm. covers most of the year with the exception of a few Oswego races that, you know, are, are specific to the speedway um, and are not part of this sort of unified group, but, um, and you're, you're crowning kind of an overall champion, which I think is also cool. And I like the idea that you have to run. If you're going to have both the top wing and the tail wing, I like the idea that in order to be crowned an overall champion, you have to prove that you can run well with both in order to make that happen. Right, right. And I'd, I'd love for it to be that you have to run both with the same car. I mean, some of that selfishly, but uh, also oh, I think that really point. has another dynamic to it there as well. There you go. Yeah, I like that. 
Um, you know, well, yeah, and and I think that's that's the thing is is you know we've gotten to the point now where we have separate cars for you know some people are have you know, and that's I mean, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure it's great for those who have them and are, and can afford to have them. Who those who have the budget and the resources to do that, but I think it's I think it 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 it's kind of a. Um, I, I mean, Jeff Abold, you, um, you know, I mean, there's there's proof there that that you don't need two cars to be successful. Um, that in fact, the tailwing, I, you know, has has at least brought it to a point where you can go up and and compete, um, you know, and be successful. And I do think the longer races definitely, you know, lend uh, lend that that extra bit of strategy. Um, you know, to it as well. So I think there's a formula there for this to be really, really good. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I, like I said, I just hope that I hope that those that are in charge of all this also realize that this is probably not going to be the, the, the be all end all to increase, you know, new blood into the division that there's more work that needs to get done and more marketing that needs to get done and that drivers need to to start marketing themselves and the organizations need to start marketing drivers because it's really drivers people go to see and and we've I think we've got to do a better job of marketing and promotion with all of this but if that if that as long as that happens I think you know this this unification and this this what is it I think it's either 15 or 16 races um, that's a, that's a really nice schedule and it, and there's some really cool facilities. I know Jeff Striegel at Berlin. I'm, I'm hoping to get Jeff on one of these shows here coming up. Cause, um, I know he's super excited, <laughs> no pun intended, um, <laughs> to, uh, Jeff's great <laughs> <laughs> to have the supers there. Um, but, uh, you know, and I want to, I want to get his thoughts on all of this, but I, I think this definitely is a step in the right direction and it's a big one. Oh, certainly for the marketing aspect, instead of marketing two separate products, now we're marketing right. one, um, and we can get together and put all our resources together and, and really, you know, go after some big sponsorships. And I know Danny Soul is, is really working hard Yeah, he is uh, on a big sponsorship uh, for ISMA on MSS for this coming year. And, you know, that would be, that would be huge if, if we can get that. Well, it it would be, and you know, I think here again, I think I think the 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 teams and the drivers need to realize that they that it's more than just show up and race. They've got to be willing to do the things that it takes to uh, help Danny and help Isma and help Lori and help MSS um, and help John and Eric at Oswego to to really build the brand of super modified racing and themselves you know if you're asked to for example do a you know a 30 second spot you know for a broadcast you know do it like don't and 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 you know and and work on your own social media and put yourselves out there and and start to because it takes everybody involved it can't just be coming from you know an organization it has to be coming from the competitors as well so i think that's the the those are the things that I hope will happen. And I also hope that I know Oswego's on flow, but I hope that there's a, I hope that the rest of the schedule will be streamed as well, because that's going to be critical. I think to getting the sponsor. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
you know, the flow racing deal has been pretty huge uh, to get more exposure. We need to get, get rid of this uh, biggest secret and motorsports stigma that we have oh, and, I agree. and bring it out in front of people and, and make it, you know, public knowledge. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll get some more people involved. It's hard to get people involved when they don't know about it. Well, that's right. And I mean, that's, um, you know, I think all of these races need to be streamed and, um, you know, that's it. We're, we're at a point now where, um, if we're still worried about live stream, keeping fans away, then we're not confident enough that we have loyal fans because no loyal fan that, that can go to a track feasibly and see it live and be around it and be in the crowd and, you know, and all of that is going to sit home and watch it. Um, it's, that's just, you know, we, we've kind of long past that. And plus you're wanting to talk to new markets and new people and get new people excited about it. And so the live stream definitely does that. Um, and it's the only way to do it. So hopefully we can get all of that to happen. All right. Um, let's talk about your season a little bit. Because obviously, I guess we can, we might as well start with uh, the classic because that's sort of the uh, that's sort if we of have the, to yeah it's kind of the unfortunate elephant in the room, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it yeah. was it would talk about the the weekend for you because I feel like um, so many times you've gone to a Swigo and uh, for classic and you've just had so much disappointment and here was the weekend where it looked like it was all going to come together and then you know the uh the elephant struck again Talk, r- walk us through your weekend and, and uh, from your point of view yeah you know we we started we did a, a track rental on thursday uh you know running on the year prior's tires because um, we had never run this car we had run the other car uh, that I just sold oh, okay. um, in 2021. Uh, so this was the first time we had the Oswego wing on this car, and you know, really didn't know what it was going to do, uh, and kind of shook it down and, and got to where we were really satisfied on year-old tires. Oh, wow. Uh, and we roll out um, Friday, and the first practice, I think we were second or third quick when we put some tires on it. And you know, I think we were as shocked as everybody else. Um, <laughs> Because if you read Facebook, that's not possible. A wing right. car can't go good at Oswego. Yeah. It's just not a thing. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it was certainly an exciting weekend for us. Um, you know, then time trialing in 10th, um, you know, we were solidly in the field, uh, not, not fighting in the back, hoping not to get tore up. Uh, we were very fortunate. Uh, Mike Barbera lent us his shop. We found a bunch of broken parts on the car. Uh, after time trials oh wow uh, and we're able to get it all fixed up um and come sunday uh we were right as planned uh just being patient um you know more or less letting attrition uh earn us positions more often than not uh, instead of burning up the tires and you know the tires still look good after the 180 laps we ran on it and you know, come come lap 180 or 175, whatever it was, uh, you know, the tabs on the frame that held that wing just failed. Uh, they were a little too light. Man. And that was the end for us. But uh, it was certainly a strong run and, um, you know, real fortunate to have, uh, you know, such a good crew and uh, a good group of people behind me um, to put us in that position. Talk to us about what, once the wing started to kind of fall fall away there um talk about from a driving point of view 
what what happens to the car in terms of the handling when something like that goes wrong? Uh, it's it's kind of a funny story, and I've only told a few people this story, so I might as well tell everybody now. Um, uh, when the caution came out, when the wing broke, um, I, actually it was the caution prior. The, the header that sits under the hood had broken, and it was getting really, really hot in the cockpit. Oh, wow. So I've, got a, I've got a little Lexan windshield wind deflector in front of me, and I ripped that off on the prior caution, and I set it on my lap. Uh, and I think we only ran three or four laps before the caution came out again. Oh. And I was trying to drive the car and hold that windshield, so I threw the windshield out of the car coming out of turn four. <laughs> and then going into turn one, uh, you know, Chuck gets on the radio, 22, you got to go to the pits. And I was like, what's going on? How could he see me do that? <laughs> Chuck sees and, everything. And then he mentioned something about you can't race with your wing like that, and I had no clue uh, at that oh, point. Oh, he, he was calling for the wing. I got you. Okay. Yeah, I thought I was getting you know sent to the pits for throwing my windshield out. Oh, um, okay. But <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, they they tried to fix it and and you know it it broke again and I looped the car immediately uh, yeah. when it broke off. Uh, there's just no rear downforce at that point. Yeah, that's that has to be crazy trying to drive the car like that. Um, and it takes me back to a classic when Dave Schulick had a tail wing. That, uh, of course, is back in the old days of the different, you know, body styles. But, you know, his his back wing kind of turned vertical instead of mm-hmm. horizontal. And and he still drove the thing. I think I don't he might have finished second, uh, but it was it was crazy um, watching him drive the car like that, because I'm saying I know that has got to be a terrible handling race car right now. So um I- it, it's hard to say. I, I was there for that one as a spectator. I mean, the way it got pushed up, you know, it added more angle. So, you know, in essence, it really probably added more downforce, put it higher. Oh, okay. He may have had a better handle. Oh, car. okay. So you're saying maybe it was an advantage. Well, that's a different way to look at it. Um, but it, yeah, it's uh, it 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 was it was certainly fun to watch you. Uh, you know, I think we were all pulling for you to have a good run, and you certainly didn't disappoint. Um, you know, obviously, you can't help the the mechanical issue. Um, you know, that's just something that happens. I mean, how do you, do you just use a heavier, do you somehow construct that with a heavier tab now? Is there a way to fix it so it's more durable and, and probably wouldn't happen again? Well, that, that's certainly the plan going forward. It was really short. There was only, you know, an inch of weld. Okay. Uh, the tab was only an inch wide. So, you know, now that tab's two inches wide. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> and fully <laughs> welded on both sides. So, so hopefully that, that fixes that problem and. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a ratchet strap or something on it yeah, next year go. as a safety net or safety chains. Who knows? Get you some Gorilla Glue. Uh, right, yeah, right. Fix it right up. Um, talk about the rest of your season with the Super Modified, and then I want to talk about uh, the, the the Sprint Car, too, and the Silver Crown a little bit. Um, but talk about the rest of your season with the Super. Yeah, it, uh, I know it was fairly up and down. Uh, you know, we had that really strong run uh, the first night in Oswego with the wing on the triple yeah. crown series or uh, the, the, the Nacotra series there yeah. um, leading a bunch of laps, what I had, which I had never done at Oswego um, short of a heat race. So right. finally getting past that um, only to, you know, step on myself on a restart and uh, let Trent get by me there at the end. But uh, you know, we finally at least turned the corner with the car at Oswego um, and got it where it's really good. Um, and then followed it up with 
a bunch of parts failures um, for the next Oswego race. Um, uh, we, we seem to always shoot ourselves in the foot, have a really good car on uh, time trials, um, really good car in a heat race, and then, you know, just make the wrong adjustment for the race and and not really get where we want to be. Uh, and we, we started to turn that around towards the end of the year and um, get it where we had a really good race car. Um, but, uh, I mean, overall, we didn't really have any huge crashes or any engine problems. So that's that's always a good year where you're not replacing parts or rebuilding engines. So overall, not bad, but sure would have liked to get a couple wins. Well, yeah, that's uh, always the goal, right, to uh, get to victory lane. Um, seems like there's there are a few tracks uh, in Ohio, of course, we talked about Berlin. I love that place. Um, and, you know, it seems like Lorraine is, is, um, has been a strong super modified supporter and obviously Sandusky. Um, what do you feel like is kind of the temperature for super modifieds and racers in your, uh, your home area there? I, I you know, I hope we're, we're going to start gaining cars, um, I know I've talked to a few people that are that are looking to put stuff back together. Oh, good. Um, some cars that are sitting. Um, so that was that was great to hear. Uh, but at the same time, I know we just lost a car uh, to the 350 group that started out here. And oh, you know, I I think the 350 groups are really good. Uh, I think in time we'll start seeing, at least I hope we'll start seeing some folks from the 350 cars jump into the big blocks. You know, it's a stepping stone. Yeah. Uh, when when I started. Uh, super modifieds. I had come out of the the Buckeye Super Sprints, right. um, which no longer yep. exists. Exist. Yeah. Um, but that's where most of the drivers came from. You know, Trent Stevens, Gatlin Stevens, both came out of the sprint cars. Uh, a lot of us. That was our start, our stepping stone. And and at least in here in the Midwest, we don't have that right now. Um, with Mussey taking the the crate motor sprint cars um, from Lorraine, you know, that's really turned into a breeding ground. Uh, four times sprint car racing, not right. super modified. So I think uh, in the long run, uh, it'll be really good for the big blocks to have that stepping stone. Uh, certainly we have that in New England and, and at Oswego growing. Um, and now we're getting it in Ohio. So I think that's good. It is good. And I think the, um, I think if you can just make it again, it's, it's that transition, right? If you can, mm-hmm. if you can, easily transition your car from a 350 to a big block then i think um and it and and if the big block is not a lot more expensive to run than the 350 then that's what creates that um you know that upward mobility at at oswego um the difference from the sbs to the big block isn't tremendous obviously it's a different car but I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of you know budget and all that, it isn't it isn't insurmountable. Um, I think I think where we got to get to is how do we make the the transition from the 350 to the big block? Um, you know, do how do we make that more uh, feasible? Um, mm-hmm. And whether that's a higher purse or you know or just lower cost? I mean, I know you, you know you say well if you if you make everything yourself or you do a lot of the work yourself, you can. You know, supers aren't that expensive, but for for probably a, a majority of racers, that 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 ability is is not probably there. So when you're having to to buy the 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 technology and and buy the stuff, 
I think it it probably gets um gets you know gets more costly. Um, what uh, talk a little bit about your time in the sprint car because that's obviously a whole different ball of wax. You came from sprint cars. It had to be cool to be able to to jump back in one to go racing at Jennerstown. Oh sure, sure. Um, uh, it was uh, late in twenty one. Um, oh, I was in 21. Okay. Yeah. That's when I started, uh, with Dick Meyer, he called me up, uh, his driver had decided that he wanted to slow things down, um, and not race quite as much. Okay. Um, so he was looking for a replacement, uh, and I was fortunate enough to be that guy. Um, so this past year, uh, we only got the sprint car out twice. Uh, we started in South Boston and unfortunately lost an engine. Uh, and it wasn't until the last race of the year at Jennerstown that he was able to get it back together. Um, just that whole supply chain uh, was a challenge. Yeah. Uh, but we did run all the pavement Silver Crown stuff, so um, that was a that was a pretty neat deal. Uh, you know, the people you're racing with there, you know, that's what they do for a living. Yeah. So, um, it was pretty fulfilling for me. Um, and you go to really cool places. Uh, Talk about that. A little bit. Talk about yeah. driving one of those cars. What's that like compared to a super? And then talk about some of the tracks. Yeah, it's completely different. I mean, there is zero downforce on that car, and it's it's big. It's not necessarily heavy, but uh, you know, it's hundred lap or hundred mile races, so you're carrying around you know as much fuel as you'd run for the classic. Um, wow. You know, it's forty, fifty gallons of fuel. Uh, so it, it kind of drives like a boat. They're on really, really hard tires, so there's not a lot of grip. Uh, there's a whole bunch of horsepower, so uh, there's a whole lot of throttle control. Uh, you've got to figure out, and, you know, it's not a super. You can't just jam the gas and hope it'll go. It'll just spin the tires. So uh, it was definitely a, a neat experience and, and looking forward to doing it more. Um, you know, I, the, the first race I ran in that car was Winchester, which was uh, oh an eye-opener for sure. <laughs> <laughs> not the best base place to go to yeah. the first time, but, um, yeah, just just a really cool experience, um, you know, running Winchester, IRP a bunch of times, uh, Gateway, uh, just unbelievable to go to Gateway and run 180 mile an hour down the straightaway. Oh, my uh, goodness. <laughs> wow. Mixed, mixed in with Indy cars. Um, you know, USAC was able to get that weekend uh, for the Silver Crown race uh, during IndyCar qualifying was our race. So That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Um, you know, up at Madison International in Wisconsin, another really great place. Uh, kind of a little bit bigger Sandusky, uh, so okay. I took really well to it. Um, that was fun. Uh, I'm trying to think where else we ran it. Um, but, yeah, yeah, real rewarding experience. Uh, we had a lot of mechanical issues uh, with the Silver Crown car, um, and then hopefully we'll get them all worked out and have a little bit better 2023. So I was going to ask that question. Are you back in that car for the same kind of schedule for next year? And um, and then what, uh, what about the sprint car part of it? So USAC hasn't released their schedule yet, so not really sure – um, what that schedule is going to look like between the, the sprint car and silver crown. Okay. Um, you know, must see really re-baselined and, you know, 90% of their races are in the state of Michigan, which is where, oh, uh, wow. you know, Mr. Myers lives. So okay. a lot of the sprint car races are in his backyard where you got to drive to, you know, almost St. Louis, Missouri to go to gateway with the, the champ car. Right. So we'll see how those schedules, uh, shake out. Uh, you know, as it looks right now, there's, 
not many conflicts with all the wing racing. Oh, good. So uh, currently, unless uh, the schedule changes, I think we'll make all the wing shows and the classic. Okay. Uh, at this point. Okay. Well, good. So the super modified um, will be kind of your priority then, and then the silver crown and whatever sprint car racing you do would fill in around that. I'm I'm assuming, right? Uh, actually, exactly the opposite. Oh. Um, the the sprint car and silver crown will probably be my priority. Um, it's uh, it's certainly nice to race for somebody else. Um, not have to wrench on oh, a car sure. all week. Yeah. As well as the the financial portion of it too. Uh, it's it's great to drive other people's equipment. Right. Okay. So so hopefully there wouldn't be many conflicts between the silver crown schedule and the wing schedule because you know we'd love to see you obviously be able to you know, compete in most all of those and certainly w- would love to see you come back and have another shot at conquering the classic because you've been so close, uh, you know, and um, would love to, to to make sure that you can get back to Oswego a few times around as well because I know you got a lot of fans up there. Right, right, yeah. Um, you know, just looking at years past schedules, I don't, doesn't look like there'll be a conflict um if they continue to race the same weekends they generally do so good um as of right now it's looking promising uh even with the tbds uh, i think we should be able to make all the wing stuff awesome well i'm i'm super excited to hear that talk a little bit about uh everybody who helps you make your racing happen because i know uh you can't do it all by yourself and you get a great team around you and i think some sponsors as well yeah, a hundred percent. You know, first and foremost is my family. Um, you know, my wife and kids are at every show. And my kids love it. Uh, my wife puts up with me constantly working on that thing almost every night. Uh, you know, my father-in-law Doug Sonier, uh always does a, a great job with the tires, and uh, you know his experience is second to none, uh, sure. both in the the super modified and the champ car. Uh, you know, he did a little bit of that in his day too. So. Um, I had him as my spotter quite a bit last year and that was, that was, that was huge. Uh, awesome. Having somebody like that up there talking to you. Um, you know, perfection fabricators has been with me. Geez. I think since I was 16, uh, when I started out, um, just a a great company, uh, to work with a great family, Dave and Karen at us. Uh, you know, they, they came on board and they sponsored MSS as well. Uh, the past couple of years, and I think they're planning to continue that as well. Awesome. Uh, you know, Euphoria Nat- or EV Naturals, uh, you know, a familiar name uh, in Supermodifieds, Randy and Rhonda Birch. Um, they've been great supporters. I, I, I can't I can't go without saying the fourth turn crazies, uh, my great <laughs> fans in turn four at every racetrack. Uh, you know, they treat me really good. Um, and, and just a whole gamut of people. Um, you know, my crew guys, uh, Kevin and Ray, uh, putting in countless time working on the car week in, week out, uh, just to keep it, keep it up and going, um, and hopefully competitive and reliable. Well, uh, we would look forward to, uh, seeing you in victory lane again in 2023 and certainly appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you again here as we get into the holiday season and um, kind of look ahead at what um, 
you know what the the big news of the uh, the month here or um, the last uh, few weeks anyway has brought to us with a unified schedule and um, you know the promise hopefully of of uh, a big step forward in um, unifying the division as a whole. Um, so, uh, always, uh, appreciate the opportunity to chat with you, Mike, and, um, and appreciate you taking some time to come on the show with us and, um, wish you and your family a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and look forward to, uh, catching up again in 2023. Sounds great, Tom. Thank you so much. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you and your family as well. That is Mike McVenna. We'll be back with more of the groove right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 109. My name is Tom Baker. If I did not mention that in the open, most of you know me anyway, but there's always new listeners. So um, happy to have you aboard this uh, particular show. We hope you enjoyed the open. It was a little bit different. I don't usually start right off with the featured guest, but uh, considering that um, the Supermodified world has been buzzing now for a couple of three weeks about um, the merger of sorts between isma and mss um the combined scheduling i think that uh it was appropriate to bring mike right in and get his opinion and i'm not going to go into too much detail uh beyond what was said in that interview i feel like we covered a lot of ground the one thing i will say is and this is just again more by way of i guess food for thought and maybe a little bit of education for uh, folks that are listening to this, for all of you, um, is that I think it's great that we have the combined schedule because in theory now that should make it easier to now do a better job of building up hype for supermodified racing big block style because now we haven't got split tours and confusion and well we're only going to run over here and we're only going to run over there it's all one tour so i think it's great now here's what i feel like is going to actually make it pay off for so long now i've watched the short track racing world especially not just supermodifieds 
um, fall into what I call the social media trap, which means, well, we put it on Facebook. That's good enough. Or, well, we have a website. Everything's on the website. That's good enough. We have gotten away from outreach in short track racing in general, and I see it across the supermodified world. There is no outreach anymore. There are no car shows. I mean, we have the one in Syracuse that everybody does, but I mean, there are no appearances at the farmer's market. There are no going out and being in the community. Drivers and teams don't promote themselves or their sport anymore for the most part. Everybody just is on Facebook and most people are just complaining. <laughs> and here's here's the danger of that. You can make the 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 greatest schedule ever, but if you don't if you don't go find new fans, if you don't go find new drivers, how does that really impact positively the long-term stability of, of, of a division. Um, I haven't gotten a single press release all year from anyone in super modified racing, not even from a Swiggo. And I don't blame Camden for that because Camden's only doing what he's being paid to do. Um, but if you look at the, uh, a Swiggo speedway.com website, and you look at the classic results. That's all you get are results and results. Don't tell a story. That's not the same as a story. If you just look at the results, I don't literally didn't have a good day at all. Neither did Michael Barnes or Mike McVetta. But if you actually, if someone had actually written a story, a proper race recap about the race, you'd have seen, you know, again, you would have understood that all of those guys were great factors in the race, right? So, you know, this isn't me trying to disrespect anybody. It's me trying to remind people that social media does not replace traditional public relations, promotion, and media outreach. You still have to go and you've got to go and pitch the media and hype to the media and explain why the media should give a rat's behind that you're running a race at your track on Saturday night. And you've got to invite them out. You've got, you've got to, to treat them like you're happy. They're there because they're giving you free coverage. They're giving you free publicity. And so much of short track racing for whatever reason has, has just completely fallen off the map when it comes to media. I mean, I'm sitting in, in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. There are probably a dozen dirt tracks within two to three hours of me. And they're in this, hardly a single one of them that, that does any of this. Well, we have a Facebook page. Well, that's great for those who already follow you. How are you going to get new fans to get excited about what you're doing and new competitors, new potential team owners, whatever, or potential sponsors. How are you going to do that if you don't go to them and put your stuff in front of them? They're not on your Facebook page. They don't know about you yet. Facebook is not a website. 
It's just a place where you rent space. Now you say, well, Facebook's free. No, it's not. You don't own your data. You don't own your content. You don't own your wall. You don't own your customer list, your, your followers. Facebook owns all of it, which is why they show you what they want you to see. Don't show you what they don't want you to see. And if your, if your Facebook post doesn't go gangbusters in the first hour or two, they just don't show it to three quarters of your following. That's the thing that, that people don't realize about social media. So what I, what I think here is that I love that, that we're doing this, this, this new schedule and, um, you know, I just, but I, but I hope that because there's very, the, the number of media who pay attention to super modified racing can be counted on one hand in the country. Okay. Doug Elkins, who's doing a nice job with his videos you know, he interviews drivers, does a good job with that. He's got his YouTube. And then um, I think, I'm pretty sure Jay Andrews is still doing his Ariado column. And Jay's always done a great job with that. And that's very expansive. You know, he he does get into kind of news and analysis and, and highlights and all of that. So it's a great column. And Ariado has a nice subscription base. So that that definitely is cool. And And then there's this show. That's it. Not enough. <laughs> you know, we can't do it all by ourselves. If if Supermodified Racing is going to attract big money sponsorships for, th- for these shows, a couple things need to happen here. Unless, you know, somebody like John Nicotra has influence, a, a good friend or whatever, somebody in one of these big companies who drops, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 into it because... They like John. Um, it, it, they're not. This is not going to happen because there's not enough sustained hype. Nobody hypes super modified racing anymore. And even with this show, people listen to it and consume it, but they don't share it. And by not sharing it, you're keeping it to yourself, which means you're keeping the content to yourself. I don't care if you share it to make me bigger. That doesn't matter. I went to a charity function last last week and signed magazines for three and a half hours, which I have to tell you was a little bizarre for me because that's just not I don't that's not my thing kind of, you know, having that kind of attention. It's not I've never felt like I was anybody who anybody wanted an autograph from. But I also understand the power of promotion. If you have a book or you have a magazine or yet that's. That's how you promote it is you sign copies of it and meet people and, and, you know, and put it in people's hands. So, um, I, I got to be more comfortable with it, but the larger point I'm making here is that this isn't about growing my brand, but when you share this show, you're exposing the show and super modified racing to your entire network. And maybe we discover new fans from that. So if everybody that listened to the show would share it, then we would get super modified racing further out there. So there are a lot of consumers of super modified racing who aren't really engagers of or sharers of or promoters of. And that's what social media is supposed to do. It's supposed to, if there's, you know, two, 300 people that listen to the show and every one of them shared it to their own wall, then 
you know, then that's how social media works because then every, every one of their friends would see it. And, and that's how it, that's how content goes viral. But all of these platforms, if, if you don't work and do your part, these platforms throttle all of the, uh, the exposure, the reach back on a lot of content, according to an algorithm that they decide what it is. And so, you know, that's kind of where I think short track racing in general, including super modified, the, the promoters and tracks or whatever, everybody thinks Facebook's the be all end all or Twitter or whatever. They're just tools in the toolbox. They're not the toolbox. You still have to have an email list. You still have to put content directly into people's hands. And you, if, if you want new fans, you have to go reach them. And, you know, Facebook advertising or advertising on social is great. That's again, it's a tool, but it's what you do with them after you get them. You know, how much content were you going to do? So that's, and that's part of the reason, by the way, that um, this partnership that I've formed with, with Magic Interactive is all about building a community, building a group of fans of motorsports, not just super modifieds, but, and, and then, and then being able to interact with them by putting content right in front of them. In this case, it works through the app. So once you download the app, you're in my community, then I can share this show to you and you will never miss seeing it. It is a content delivery system that far exceeds social media, but it also has, they've got all the functionality of Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So you can, you can post all the same content and you, you can do things a lot the same way. The difference is instead of it being on somebody's wall or in a Facebook group, it's coming straight to you on your phone through the app. Now you can access it through your PC. And again, the larger point is we're trying to build a model for motorsports that makes us a hub, but also allows for Isma or Oswego or MSS or whoever wants to take advantage of it to actually have next level tools to monetize, sell tickets, sell merch, meet and greet kind of things, exclusive content, whatever it, you know, whatever it is, um, souvenir, digital cards, all of those things are going to be available as this platform goes forward there. Most of those tools are available for the platform already. And we're just now kind of amending them or tweaking them and building out the packages, the right packages for what a track would want from it or what a series would want from it or what a driver race team would want from it. So we're, we're basically adapting it for the motorsports industry. And again, because if, if we want new fans and if we want to grow the industry, you, you aren't going to do it just by using the traditional socials. It's just not going to happen. And, and you're not going to do it without reaching out to the media that are in the areas you're going to go race. We should be, ISMA MSS should be sending at least one driver with a car, hopefully two, um, a day or two early into these places and should be uh, doing some promotion. 
somebody should be setting up conversations, video chats, audio interviews, whatever, with the media in those areas. The media, the track should work with ISMA and MSS, and the same should be happening in Oswego, by the way. Oswego does not do a good job of media outreach. They haven't done it for years. They do some, and there are some media. Camden's been on some Syracuse radio and, and, and shows like that. But if this is going to grow, we can't ignore traditional PR and promotion. And that's the only thing I'm not seeing, and I don't get it. Because nowadays, it is so easy. Anybody with a cell phone has a voice recorder built into their phone. So anybody could do, you know, top three interviews or, you know, do a couple of interviews from the race. And then those are what's called MP3 files or audio files. It's it, it's very easy, and if they don't record, if the phone doesn't record them as audio as MP3s, and some phones don't, they record it as a wave file. Then you know it's easy to convert that file to an MP3 file. You can do it in a minute, um, and then you just send them along, and we'll put them on the show. And um, you know, I think, and 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 again, you you can you can do what's called an audiogram. I'll help anybody that wants to learn that. It's real easy. The app is called Headliner. I use it and I need to start using it more. Kind of gotten away from that. But it basically takes an audio file and turns it into a video file. You put a picture with it or put a little bit of video. And depending on how creative you are, you can make spectacular stuff. ESPN and all the big networks use these things. Um, And it's great. It's great stuff. So it's deliverable content. And people can hear from the drivers or you can take your phone and shoot a simple video interview. And, and now, you know, people are, people can see the drivers. We don't hype the drivers anymore. We don't hype super modified racing anymore. And really short track, again, a lot of short track racing in general, there are some people that do it really well. Some tracks and series that do it really, really well. Um, but you know, we, that's where the growth is going to come from. The super modified is still, in my opinion, and we probably all agree with this, right? It's the most, it's still the most exciting short track racing car on the planet to watch race. And nobody's hyping it. Nobody's doing the right thing to hype it. Okay. It, it, what we need to do is go back And we need to refocus on that's what branding is. Okay. And we, we really need to refocus on selling the excitement of short track, super modified racing again. And until you start doing the basic things, right. You're just, you know, if, if you're just going to do social media and a website, you're, you're not going to accomplish the goal. So you might find a sponsor from within the industry or somebody that, that has a lot of money that's willing to throw it up there. I mean, John did a great job pulling together a lot of smaller sponsors, but at the end of the day, you know, not nearly enough hype. Um, you know, I, I, I've said the show's open to anybody that wants to promote super modified racing, promote an event, whatever it's open. And, um, I'm quite sure that Doug, I think Doug just did an interview with John. I think I saw that somewhere. I didn't get to click on it, but I saw, I think it was on Facebook, right? Um, 
So that's good, but we need more than just the three of us, you know, even more than, you know, and more than Jay. But again, stuff needs to be put in our inbox. Drivers and teams need to do a better job and be more responsive. When somebody like me calls and wants to spend 30 minutes or an hour with you talking about your career or talking about the upcoming season, what are you doing? Um, guys and girls, you gotta be willing to do it. You're a part of this. And that's, that's what I I've seen more and more of short track racing is, you know, everybody consumes it, but nobody promotes it well. And, and the fans don't share, which is amp that's that social's amplification. Okay. You have an amplifier for sound. You turn the amplifier up louder, right? That's how you amplify the hype is you share, you share the content. And, you know, we have some great groups that talk about super modified racing. Um, you know, but again, guys, we've got to, we've got to do better, much, much better on the media and promotion front. You can't just assume that people will find out about it, that I will find out about it through Facebook or whatever. There are, there are weeks I'm not on Facebook for two or three days straight very much at all because I'm busy doing other things. Okay. Um, and that's why, again, that's why I'm, I'm working with magic interactive. It's a model that will, you don't have to be on Facebook, download the app, join the community. It's free. If you want to be in our subscriber area with the magazine, we're going to do when, when we get start, get, get to the new year and we're going to real, we're going to start doing some new content, new shows, that are going to begin to happen. And we're going to build a subscriber only area with some really cool stuff, but we're also going to have great stuff in our free area. But again, anybody can, can have a community on this platform that wants to use it and its tools to directly connect with their fans, 24, seven, 365, right through their phone. And it's non-invasive because it happens through the app. You get a push notification. You can, you know, and it's not like we're going to have 20 pushes a day. You know, that's, we're not even a daily, at least I can speak for me anyway. I'm not a daily content media. I'm not a, a hard news journalism anymore. I don't really care to do that. I'm more interested in cool feature stories. You know, like the one I did on Jimmy Champagne for the first issue of the magazine. That was the most personal story I've ever written. Um, you know, those are the things, those are the types of stories I, I, I want to do. We're going to, I'm going to pull, I will let you know now that one of the, I'm trying to put a super modified story in every issue, at least one. And one of the things I'm going to do is I will tell you that the next legend that we're going to remember in Steering Wheel Nation magazine is going to be Kempton Nates. That's going to happen for February um, for, for the next issue. And, you know, a lot of it's going to pull from what, was in the magazine or in the, uh, in the book. But again, I'm trying to expose this to a wider audience of people, just like I'm trying to expose things like carding. Did, did you know, did you know there is a nine mile road course now in this country? There is a longer road course than road America by about twice. There is a nine mile road course. 
We're going to do a story about that soon. That's the type of stuff that between the subscriber area and the magazine, that's what you're, you're going to see. And then, of course, some of that will be in the free area. Some of those stories, we're not going to save all the good stuff for the subscriber area. But what we're trying to do is, is show people what can be done with this platform because it's amazing, honestly. But we, the, 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 the arching concept of that is, again, direct outreach and direct communication to people so that when Facebook changes their algorithm every other week, who cares? <laughs> we're, we're circulating all this stuff directly to you and putting it where you can grab it either from your PC or your phone. Now the interactive stuff and you, and you, you'll all understand if you're, once you're in the community and um, you start seeing what we can do with interactive events. Those things have to be through the app because that's where the tech is. So you do have to have the app. That's why the first thing, when you when you hit the QR code, it'll ask you to get the app. It's free. Just get it. And then it'll ask you to set up an account. Just do it. And then it'll drop you into my free community. And um, got a digital business card too that works with some of the same technology. It's, it's the most comprehensive and technically advanced digital business card anywhere right now, like 30 bucks a month. But you, again, you're building a community. And so that's, that, that's where we need to go is we need to get back to the basics of building a tribe and, and then, you know, being involved and engaged with the tribe and creating amazing content too. This is a content creator's world. So, you know, who is going to create content for Isma and MSS? It's good that we have the schedule, but what kind of content is going to be created? There hasn't been a whole lot. So who's going to do that? You know, who's going to, who's, you know, is a Swigo in 23 going to step up their game again? You know, it's, it's, um, I mean, we, we've got to work harder to stand out because there's way more kinds of racing, you know, than, than just super modifieds. We need to tell people why they should be paying attention to it. And if we want big sponsors, that's the next evolution because sponsors want to um, either elevate fan experience. You know, they want in some unique way to either elevate the fan experience, fan experience or reduce a pain point. That's sponsorship in 2022. And, you know, it's not just about name on the car, name on the suit. Everybody, every race car driver on the planet has those things. So that's not going to sell a sponsorship. Um, at least not the type of sponsorship that everybody wants for super modifieds. So, you know, we, it, it, there's got to be drivers need to cooperate with the media. Drivers need to seek media to get their sponsors out there. Otherwise, they're just taking money from them for absolutely nothing. And these teams and organizations, track series, everybody needs to, again, get back to real promotion. Get cars out in the community. Send, show video, show, you know, show people what they're missing. And that's how you're going to generate the excitement. You're not going to do it through, um, you're, you're not going to do it just through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or name your social. Those things are just 
just tools. They're not the whole box. So that's, that's um, again, by way of education and in, in a, in a food for thought. That's if we're, if we're, if super modified racing serious about taking the next step, that's what's got to happen. You can't keep it to yourself. If you post, the only people who see it are the people that are connected to you. That's it. Nobody else sees it unless somebody shares it. So, you know, we all need to share all the content and we all need to get more engaged with that. Me included. So this community that I'm building, that's what I intend to do. And we've delayed sort of the open the door to the public a little bit um, just because there are some updates that are kind of technical in nature from the back end side that um, that the, the the folks are still uh, they're they're working on putting in hopefully this week so that we can open it and and it'll and, and of course there will be a certain amount of content when we open it's called a soft lunch but then you'll start as we get after the holidays again in the new year you'll start seeing more and more content in some live events or some some premiere events some we're, we're working on a couple of big giveaways um opportunities to win uh, fan experiences and so we're 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 wanting the steering wheel nation community to be a place where a, a lot of cool things happen it won't be every day um again there won't be you know three four five new stories every day we're not gonna spam anybody but you know we want to build something where people know that when something comes out they're going to get it and they're not going to miss it and um and where we can actually interact in some cool ways in race chat function things like that um things that that aren't controlled by somebody else's algorithm or you know what somebody else thinks is a quality post and you know i i don't want to see anything in my feed that i don't want and that's you know that's the environment we're creating it's motorsports nothing but motorsports and that's it and i want to be able to to bring a cross section so that um there's that so um with all that having been said um i wish isma and mss uh all the luck in the world with this i hope that this works um as much as and as quickly as i get news you will have news. We're going to, again, one of the nice things about this community, it's a hub. So um, all the content's going to start there and then be sort of farmed out to the socials. And you'll start seeing some written articles and blogs and things like that, um, which I haven't done a lot of recently because um, I just haven't felt like I had a way to distribute them where I knew everybody could see them. And so now I do. So we, you know, if you see the QR code for our free community, hit it. It's not going to cost you a penny. Just, just hit the code, get the magic app, get into the community. And a lot of the content will be there and we will still be putting some of it out to, you know, to Facebook and such for a while. But my goal, honestly, folks, is to eventually get away from social media. It's not going in a good direction. Um, It's been a, giant propaganda machine for too long and people are starting to figure that out and they're just looking for alternatives i'm interested in building a community of racing only people where 
we can get together and see cool stories and meet cool people and have opportunities for you guys to to interact with cool people um you know that's we want to be a hub for that kind of stuff and and a place um almost like a network if you will like a netflix kind of place but it won't be all video at least for a while we're almost there and also we're we're planning to add other content creators it's not just going to be me it's not just it, it this again it's a hub so um okay so hopefully that clears up some of what i'm doing but also why i'm doing it and 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 how i think that not just the technology that i'm involved with i don't own it i'm just working with the company to kind of be the the creator for motorsports uh, the motorsports industry on it there's there's over eight hundred thousand people using it already communities of all different types um but uh you know, where I think super modified racing needs to go, you know, it's good to have the schedule, but if, if you, if you do as little promotion, if you just, if you don't do the right promotion, I don't think it's going to matter. I don't see the big sponsors coming in. There's too many other choices for their buck. So, um, there's some great opportunities. This platform does allow for live audio and video streaming that I'm on. Um, so that is there. Somebody wants to take advantage of it. And it's it's solid, too. It the the servers are solid. Um, this is a company that is. I mean, I'll put it to you this way. Um, there's been a lot of talk about where the web is going, and a lot of talk about um, all uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. It's the the platform already has augmented reality, so you can. You know, you can draw your own conclusions about where it's going. So it's all there. Um, so come on, folks, let's go. Join me. We need more content creators. We need more people hyping it up. We need all of you sharing content. We, everybody needs to play a part here or it's probably not going to turn out like you hoped because right now, super modifieds are very expensive. I hear people all the time go, well, they're really not very. Well, yes, they are. I mean, <laughs> they are very expensive. What's taking off in the racing world right now are budget classes. There are a lot of endurance classes you can go and you can you can run 20 races a year for um, about 30,000 bucks and have a great time on some of the biggest, best road courses in the entire country, the same ones that NASCAR and IndyCar race on. It's out there for, you know, for three, four grand a weekend or less in some cases. Um, no, it's not super modified racing, but I mean, again, not everybody is a super holic. Sometimes we got to go tell them why they ought to be. And right now we are not doing a good job of that. So that's my kind of rah-rah speech. We need to get off the couch and promote Enough said. Okay, next segment here. I'm going to roll right in because um, we've got a lot to do here. I haven't even told you really what's upcoming. <laughs> um, on this show, we're going to do two more things. First of all, we're going we're going to look back at 1972. We're going to get back to um, where where were you 
if you were even on the planet 50 years ago, um, 72 season rewind. And then we're going to spend uh, a lot of our off season on 1972. And then guess what comes next year? 1973. Now the cool part of this is now that I have the platform and all of that, they're going to be, I can use more different types of media to do some of this. So I can create some articles. I can, um, you know, highlight some things in short blogs. There are all kinds of things that we can do. Um, and, uh, but this is a segment that a lot of you seem to like. So we're going to roll into it. We're going to pick up where we left off here and then go forward. So we're going to start with the third program of the year in 1972, which is race two. Okay. Of the season. And we don't have all of the programs. We're missing several of them. So we're going to work with what we have. Okay. That's, that's where we're at. Um, and, you know, if we get more, then we'll kind of put them in wherever we get them. So we're going to do that here in a minute. Then we're going to do what's in the number. Um, and we're going to focus on the number 09. Now, here's, here's a little snag. Robert Metcalf, who is one of our true super fans of this show, um, super as in like awesome fans, the top fans of the show. Um, Robert suggested that I do this. What's in the number? I started at number 36 at episode 36 went to 99. Then he said, well, why don't you do, um, you know, 100 through cause you can start with double zero and, and, and go up. Well, we went, Double zero one oh two oh three all the way. Now we're at oh nine. Now here's the interesting snag that this gets us into. We're in triple digit episode numbers. So the next episode is one ten. So if if we follow function here and we were to do the next number after oh nine, it would be zero. Um and so 110 does have a zero in it, but then when you go to do 111, you're doing number one, 112 would be the number two, all the way on up to 119. (laughs) And then you go to 120, that leaves out 10, 11, 12. So here's what we're going to do. And again, uh, this this should be kind of fun. We're going to do 09 today. Now the next what's in a number, which will be show number 110, we're going to do zero. We're going to do one and we're going to do 10. That's how we're going to do it. So we're going to have three different numbers next time. Um, I'm not going to do zero today just because we're already running a little long. Um, Cause as usual, I talk too much. <laughs> so, but I hope that was productive and informative and thought provoking because I, I want to motivate everybody who's a super modified fan. Now is the time. Isman MSS have done a great thing here. We all need to be promoters. Every one of us, we all have followers. Let's promote, promote this show, promote all the content that, that gets made. There's not nearly enough. We need more. So hopefully the tracks and series do better anyway. So Oh nine is coming up as well. We're going to do the number 09. Um, but first, before we go to break, I want to just mention a couple of folks who have gone home to heaven 
that we have not talked about yet on this show. Um, the first one is Bill Shea. Bill, um, Bill was a great friend of mine. I've known him a long time. Um, I cannot remember if I met Bill. I've been trying to remember if I met Bill first at the uh, Oswego Speedway or if I met him first at the Syracuse Gettysburg Rod track, but it was one of the two. Um, he had two kids, Justin and Brad, who were racing the, the little Micron cars. They're similar to quarter midgets for those of you who don't know. Um, Bill passed away unexpectedly several weeks ago. And Bill, Bill was as passionate of a racing fan as you'll ever meet in your entire life. He was truly one of the the kindest, nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. I had the privilege of meeting his parents, Grant and Mary, um, back when I, when I first met with Bill. I ended up, Bill offered me a position at Ferris Industries. I was working there in the marketing department, helping them kind of try and build the marketing department. And um, it was a fascinating time at Ferris because I don't know how many of you know this, but during the time I was there, Bill also hired Todd Gordon, who used to race small blocks limited is what they called them then uh, at Oswego. Todd, when he was a senior in college at Clemson University, which is in South Carolina, built his limited super for his senior class project took it to a swiggo and won. Well, Bill hired Todd as an engineer. And again, to show you sort of how forward thinking this all gets, there became a prototype for an, a mower, a riding mower, commercial riding mower with suspension. And that was invented by Todd Gordon, Bill Shea, and Phil Wenzel. Three racing people, racing nuts, invented this, and it still exists today. It went through a bunch of name changes. We, I think the first one was, I think first was IS, maybe. I know the first two um was where IS and soft ride. Cause I actually did the logo design for the soft ride one. Um, and I was so disappointed when we didn't keep it. Cause everybody liked the logo. Um, <laughs> and that's probably the only logo I've ever designed. Like actually did not just concepted, you know, like here's what I want for this logo. Like I, I, my, my old team full throttle logo. I, I had the concept for that, but I didn't actually physically use the software to design it. Um, so I've had a few logos like that. Um, the current steering wheel nation one was not my concept at all. It, it's, it's 10 times better than the one I had, <laughs> but, um, this, this logo, I actually drew the, the design for it, everything, the font and, and whatever, and everybody kind of liked it, but, um, ultimately they didn't keep the name, but it was, uh, that was a really fascinating time to be there and watch those guys develop this thing. And, um, so, you know, worked there for almost five years 
and had a great time. Um, worked on Justin's, uh, Bill's oldest son, when he raced limiteds at Oswego. I helped out with data and helping with tires and whatever and that crew and, and, and you know, some marketing stuff with them. Um, Bill and I thought a lot alike when it came to sponsorship and marketing and, and, uh, and again, old school, just because you have social doesn't replace old school. You just, you just use social as part of your old school tools. And, um, so, you know, Bill, uh, Bill was just a, 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 a tremendous, uh, fan of Oswego Speedway and Northeast racing in general. He grew up like I did in the seventies. He grew up going to Utica Road when it was still pavement and Richie Evans and Jerry Cook and guys like, I think Denny Giroux and Sonny Seaman. And I've, I, I start, I, I, I know there's a bunch of other seventies guys there, but, um, can't remember all of them. Um, you know, I lose some of the names over time, but, but there were, those guys were, were big there. And, um, but he always loved the Swigo and did quite a lot. I think, let's see, Ferris at one point, obviously had the limited super for Justin, um, for I think three or four years. Anyway, I feel like, um, and also had, I think he sponsored the two seater for a bit as well. I think that was, and he, he then worked with the, the, there's a great story I can tell about, and you know what? I'm going to do it. Um, I, 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 I've got to tell this story cause it's a funny story and it has a cool ending. So, um, so one night, uh, <laughs> Justin was racing and Jim Paternoster, uh, owned, I think he had two cars and Dean Hogue was in one. I think Dean was in the 14 or, or maybe he, I think he was in the 41. And I think Kenny Williamson at the mo at that time was the other driver in the 14 or it was the other way around. I can't remember who drove which number, but it doesn't matter. So both cars looked almost alike. Well, <laughs> one night, um, Dean and Justin got together and Justin ended up, I think in the wall, um, or spun out or, or whatever. Um, but you know, there was, there was an argument over space between the two of them. Let's put it like that to use Kenny Schrader's term. Well, I'm not going to mention the gentleman's name. Um, I'm just going to call him John, <laughs> which is not his real name, but John was an employee at Ferris and John was a member of the crew of our crew. He, he really wasn't a member of the crew at all. He was there basically just to support. Um, I don't believe, I don't remember that he was going every week. He was just that he happened to be there that night. Well, John lost his cool. And when, when the ensuing caution or red or whatever it was happened, <laughs> you know, you, you, you think about this now and, and, I mean, it wasn't funny then, and it certainly wasn't, you know, a great thing to do, but you can look back and laugh at it all these years later. J Kenny comes into the pits for some sort of, I think he might've been like collateral damage or, you know, involved a little bit or whatever, but he comes in the pits. John thinks this is the guy who messed up Justin. J John bolts from our pit. And goes over and jumps up on top of the Kenny Williamson car. And he's reaching in the cage, like yanking on Kenny's helmet. 
And so I go running over and I forget somebody else went with me. It wasn't Bill. I, f- I forget who it was. And we're trying to tell him that's the wrong car. Get off the car. Like you, you gotta get down. Well, finally he gets down. Well, then there's a, there's a, the, the, you know, there's a big shouting match between Jimmy and Bill and whatever. And I'm just kind of watching this whole thing going, how did this even start? Like, how did this happen? It was one of those crazy things that happens in racing once in a while. Nobody got hurt. Um, and afterward, Jim and Bill became friends and, and Jim fielded a couple of silver crown cars. I believe they were. And, uh, and Bill, Bill wanted Greg Furlong to drive. So, um, so, so Bill, you know, Bill sponsored that the car when Greg was, was driving it, but that, that scene of, of seeing this, this person, um, you know, up on top of the car, just yanking on Kenny's helmet. It's cut. It was, it was like something out of a, you know, out of a comedy or something. Only it wasn't very funny to Kenny as it shouldn't be. Um, and so it's like, you got to get down, man. It's the wrong car and we're not going to don't do this. So <laughs> it, was, it was insane, but Bill was, um, Bill just had a great time. Um, I remember he won the 50, 50 once on classic weekend. Um, it was a large amount of money, <laughs> you know, he, um, he just loved, he just loved racing. He loved marketing. He loved Ferris, but let me tell you, Bill Shea was never more in his element than when he was on his water truck. Um, he bought Utica Rome Speedway owned it for three or four years. I think, um, he and his wife, just put so much time and energy Kim and Bill into this facility it rained I don't even know why Bill needed to water the track it seemed like from the time Bill bought it it rained every other weekend every other Sunday night just poured and we all know what happens when it rains at a track and you have to cancel because a lot of people don't realize you advertise stuff you pay insurance you pay you know bills electric you, you, there's all these expenses and you don't make any money. So you paid the expenses for the week, but you haven't brought anything in through the gate. So, you know, promoters, at least most promoters don't have a short leash when it comes to rainouts for that purpose, because they know they've got to, they've got to make money and you don't make any money if there isn't a crowd and there isn't racing. So yeah, he just, um, but he just loved that. He loved owning the track. He loved, um, you know, he loved, uh, he loved maintaining the track after a hard day at work at Ferris, um, you know, dealing with what by then had, because the company had been bought a couple times, Briggs and Stratton owns it now. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it's now, you know, corporate, not privately owned like it was when he started. Um, and so it's a whole different deal. So I don't think he really necessarily had as much fun with that, but you know, he loved being able to go over there and work on the track and, and he loved being a track owner and he was a team owner for a while on the dirt side, had uh, dirt modifieds and whatever. And so Bill, Bill was just the best. And, um, you know, to, to, to see the news of his passing was just devastating for all of us who knew it because you, you couldn't know Bill without loving him. You couldn't know Bill without appreciating him. You couldn't know Bill without just 
you know, really being thankful, you know, for him for being a friend because Bill was just truly a very kind-hearted, very God-centered gentleman. He had his moments like the rest of us. We're all, you know, we're all broken. We're all sinful. We're all, we're all flawed. But um, he truly was, you know, he was, he was a God-centered man and, and, and his parents were, were the greatest. His kids are the best. Um, Haven't uh, talked to either of them in quite a while. Justin was here in the area a few years back and we, got together at dinner was great to see him um you know bill was i think bill's real love was his family and it was his grandkids especially he made the greatest grandpa ever uh he was the the true definition of a doting grandpa um and so um i uh i'm gonna miss bill terribly i mean he and i you know once life kind of took over for both of us and we're you know yay far apart you know, we would still talk, you know, a couple, three times a year on the phone. And, um, and it, it was, uh, it was always fun to talk to Bill and just get his advice on things or whatever. So miss Bill terribly. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and prayers and condolences to his, uh, to his family. And, um, we're, we're thinking about him, um, over the holidays for sure. So, um, the other, the other loss that we've suffered is Anthony Mancuso. And I feel bad because there's not too much I can say about Anthony because I didn't really know him very well. I know he was a big part of the tower scene at the track and just was very passionate about the racing and about, um, Oswego Speedway, especially I, I've spoke, I had spoken with him, um, a time or two, but really never, you know, got to know him too well. So, um, but we, we want to pray for him and uh, pray for his family as well. Our condolences and thoughts and prayers for, for, for strength and comfort and, and, and faith, um, for, for Bill's family and also Anthony's family. Um, may God bless them all. And may he provide them with, with strength and comfort in this holiday season. It's, I know, you know, it's, it's tough. I lost mom in February and this is the first holiday season, you know, without her. And even though I know she's in a much better place now and she's at peace, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's hard that you, you can't be with them or call them or, you know, any of that. Um, so it's, um, you know, and for anyone else who's listening to this show, who's suffered a loss this year, um, we're praying for you and your family as well. And, and, you know, it's, um, it's the holiday season is a tough time, especially the first time you go through it without someone being there in your life. So, um, with that, we will take a break. When we come back, we're going to do (laughs) 1972 race three of the season sorry race two of the season and then we're going to talk about the number 09 in super modified history back with more of the groove after this hey here's a little fish tale for you it's about a place named skip's fish fry 
Skip's Fish Fries, located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, and they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to the Inside Groove. It is great to uh, have you with us as we get into our third segment and final segment of the show. But uh, we're not wrapping it up anytime soon. We got some stuff here. Uh, two things to go through. We're going to start with what's in a number. We're going to talk about the number 09 for a minute. And then what we're going to do is we're going to finish the show with... Our 1972 season rewind segment, and that's going to uh, detail race number three is where we're at. Uh, race two, sorry, I keep making that mistake. It's program three, but it is race number two is is where we're at here. So um, looking forward to that in a moment. But first, we start with the number 09, and I guess we can start in 1972 because that's the first time, the first 09 that I remember, and that's even before I started going. Uh, Brian Osgood was the 09. That was his modified number. Brian was from the uh, southern tier of New York State. I think somewhere around Elmira, but I'm not sure. Um, but I think it was Elmira Endicott, one of those E cities, <laughs> um, and well, no, I think it was, I think it was Elmira. Um, Brian had, I'm not even sure what the origin of the car was that Brian had. Somebody will obviously comment, probably Larry Trinka <laughs> and somebody will, uh, will, will fill, fill you in on that. Um, but I know that he bought the car. It might have been um, an upright of sorts. And Brian, uh, I think the car ran pretty fast. And then Jeff Bodine, who was racing his Indy rear engine car at Oswego that year with a roll cage on it. Um, Jeff ended up driving Brian's car for the classic, I think. And he was, I don't think he, he finished well. He was either the first or second or one of the first cars to drop out. So that was uh, the first 09 I remember. And then, uh, let's see, I think somewhere in, and again, the order of these, I know that Brian came back, um, what year, maybe 74, perhaps. I don't think it was in 73, but it might've been. 
It could have been. He came back with a Holinsky car with a yellow 09 on it. And then I think he ended up driving for Ernie and Bob June for a short time. And I think that was the last he raced at a Swiggo in a Super. I think he, uh, he had a modified he ran a few more times, but um, for a while, because he raced a while after that, but I don't think he raced a Super after when he raced for June's in the 59, and that was probably um, early, mid-70s too, like 75, 76, somewhere there. Um, let's see. So then I want to say that... There was, I want to say Lou Maul ran an 09s in one of the classics. Um, but again, I'm not positive on that. And I know that Ali Silva, and this would have been what year? 77, I believe. Ali Silva ran Clyde Booth's 09, finishing the top 10 behind Swifty. That was the year, that was Swifty's last top 10 classic finish, and that was the year that Swifty pulled his last all-nighter, basically, um, went home after time trials, very unhappy, and they cut the car. I think they lengthened it a bunch, put it back together, brought it back. He didn't qualify through time trials, so he started up front in his heat. I think he won his heat and his semi, if I'm not mistaken, and I think he went out. And he started like 31st or something and finished 7th. And I remember like little sort of, I can picture little kind of flashes of that drive. And him running on the outside and... Boy, he was just cruising. Like, he really had that car hooked up pretty good. But, of course, at that point in in super modified racing history, the car that would obsolete Swifty's car was actually in the race. <laughs> it was Jimmy Champagne. He dropped out early with the Radical, took over uh, for Maynard Troyer, and ended up in the top five. But Swifty... Um, that was his last great drive at Oswego. He, I, I, I think that it might've been that year or maybe the year before that Jim Winks drove for him at Thompson. I vaguely remember that happening. I think Jimmy got a top 10 finish, but I mean, Nolan came back in 78. And as we've detailed before, I think it was the port city race. He blew the motor, spun the car. And basically that was it. So, um, but um, Ali Silva ran the 09 that year. And then the next one that I remember right off the top would have been, I think, the same car two years later, or not the same car, but the same car owner, Clyde Booth, 09, um, Jeff Bodine in 79, I believe qualified it through time trials for the classic but then the race got rained out he went to somewhere <laughs> the race is modified and um dave thomas stepped into the car to replace him and dave ended up totaling the car i think the brakes went out 
something happened, stuck throttle or the brakes failed or something and um, just wiped the car out. And that car, I think it, I think there were parts of that car that became the 1980 car that Warren Conium drove for Clyde. Uh, and that car won like nine races or something in the title. I mean, he was just, Warren was off the charts that year. Um, but they had changed the number to six. So let's see. Oh, nine. This is so interesting because I just feel like this is a sneaky number that there were, there were, there were some, um, there were some temporaries like, you know, somebody comes in for the classic or whatever. And I'm going to forget some, um, Kenny Bell was 09 I think when he started was he was Kenny Bell 09 I know he became 36 but what was he what was he when he started um I think Kenny was 09 for a little while um Bobby Fitzpatrick I think ran as an 09 a little bit and Bobby Smith was 09 um Bobby uh boy poor guy um, I think Bobby sometimes gets remembered for some of the big moments and they weren't all necessarily good. Right. Um, Bobby was a really talented racer and he was a great guy. And, you know, somebody that I still miss when I get up there seeing in the pits, Bobby was, was, was awesome. Um, when he bought the, I think he, he bought his first car from Gozik, I think, and that was Oh nine. I'm, I'm almost sure of that. And then um, he drove a car for, um, well, let's see, he, I think he had a wreck with that one. And um, then he, I believe he got into Mike Kapazinski, Danny's dad, who built some of the most beautiful cars to ever grace the Oswego Speedway. And this was long before wraps, by the way. Mike painted all his cars, and he did it left-handed and backwards. So, um, you know, that he was just, he was, he was special. He just, he had not, his creations didn't all necessarily work super well because he wasn't afraid to try different things, and I love that about it. You never knew what you were going to get for a capper car. Well, he built one for, for Smitty. And I believe that was Oh nine. I think I'm pretty sure it had Smitty's Oh nine on it, but <laughs> I don't remember. I think maybe part of the reason I struggle to remember is because it was only on the track for part of a night. And I think it was the start of the Concy or maybe a heat race. I don't think it was the feature. I think it was either a heat or a Concy. He came off of turn four and either something broke or he lost control. I don't really know what happened. Um, that thing hit the inside pit wall at Mach force and it just disintegrated the car. It, it, that car, that car was total. Thank God Bobby was okay. Um, but it was one of the most beautiful cars Mike ever built. And, you know, it's racing. That stuff happens. I always, you know, I, I feel so bad for Bobby because we talk about those things, but that's, that's what happened. It's a part of the, part of the deal. Um, you know, he, um, 
he he was a really talented racer. I I particularly remember Smitty um driving a modified and I'm getting away from the 09. I'll come back to it in a second cuz Smitty had another 09. I think I think he well, let me get there. So he drove he got into Tony Vecchio's modified one day. And holy cow. He was he ran top 10. It was like he drove the car. I don't know how many times he drove it. He drove it several times. Always ran good with it. He was really talented um, with the modifieds. He just figured out how to drive it, and he did good. He did a good job with it. But back to his supers. So after the capper car accident, Bobby bought the... I believe the last Limblag car that Don McLaren had, or maybe it was the second from the last Limblag car. I don't know, but it was, um, and of course, you know, it had a seat the size of Texas in it because big daddy Don, right? He was, he was a big boy, as they say in the South, a big old boy. Um, and so I remember when Bobby got in it, he looked like a midget because the seat was so big and Bobby was, you know, I mean, he, it wasn't that he was, you know, super skinny or anything, but he, he certainly wasn't Don size, right there. I mean, there weren't too many that were Don size. Um, so Bobby looked small in the cockpit, did the exact same thing on classic weekend. Um, and so I don't know what, you know, again, what either of those situations were, but, um, Bobby had better luck when he wasn't driving in 09. <laughs> I think that's the moral of the story. Because uh, he got into Norris McDonald's car, did well with it. Got into Ralph McLaughlin's car, did well with it. Drove, what did he drive? Who owned the 11 he drove? Um, it was, um, oh gosh. Uh, wasn't it Crusetti? It was, um, I think it was the same family I know in the first turn in, wasn't it? When the, it was Crusetti. It was Marty Crusetti. I'm pretty sure, right? Is that the name? Um, I think he he ran good in that. Um, geez, he drove a bunch of cars. I'll never um, never get them all, but um, but Bobby was a great shoe. But anyways, um, I think he was before. He was either right before or right after Fitzpatrick. I think in the '09. Ah, uh, and again, we had Kenny Bell, but I think Kenny was even later than that, if I'm not mistaken. But again, I could be wrong because time for me is condensed and I, I'm losing like details and years here. Um, But I know Kenny drove in 09 and let's see who else. Um, I'm going to throw in Bob Bogowitz, but I'm not sure that 09's ever hit the track. He may have driven one before that was 09, but I'm not sure. I know Bob had a car and I don't remember what number it was when he, when he did race. Um, but, um, let's see here again, I'm going to miss somebody big and then I'm going to be in trouble. Um, Oh nine, Oh nine, Oh nine. Um, I think that's gotten a lot of them. Um, who would I miss that was oh nine? I do feel like there were a couple of like one offs that I'm missing. Uh and I can't think who um who I would be missing there. 
in the Supers. Um, but 09 certainly has been a, a pretty big part of the history. If you look at a guy like Brian Osgood, you know, back in those days in the 70s when Brian was racing, that was the heyday, right? That that was, um, you had so many guys that would do double duty and would, um, you know, would race sometimes on the dirt as well. I don't know that Brian ever did that, but he was certainly a super and modified guy. Now, I don't know if he ever did both of them on the same night. Um, He may have once or twice, but I think by the time that he was, yeah, I think, I I don't know if that ever happened because um, they trying to think it would have to have been a classic, maybe a classic weekend in practice or um, um, I'm not sure there was ever a port city where he was running both, but there may have been the port city started in 74. So that could have happened. Um, but, uh, but Brian was one of those drivers that could just drive anything. And, um, he was really, a uh, he was really talented. I always loved his cars. I love the yellow. I always thought the yellow was cool. And he had an orange helmet. So that, you know, that was a cool color combination for helmet and car. And they were always nice looking cars. So, um, you know, a guy like Brian to me is a legend and, you know, and so that number, while I don't think it's the winningest number or necessarily a, you know, big time impactful number, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a number that had some really great people and great characters in it. Um, and uh, all those guys were that I just mentioned. So um, I think I'm going to, I'll stop there and let you guys tell me the, all the ones I missed um, for 09. Cause again, I just feel like there's a couple that, that I'm, I'm leaving out that I'm, I'm going to regret. Uh, somebody's going to say it. I'm going to, Oh man, I missed him. Um, okay. So uh, that's what's in the number. Now, Next week, we're actually going to do, uh, we're going to do three of them on next week's show. Zero, one, and ten. Because we're kind of at that point. We got to get zero out of the way. Actually, you know what? Never mind. We're going to do zero right now. Let's do the zero. And then when we go to um, show 110, we'll do the one and the ten. That'll get one out of the way. And then we're going to have to do, um, you know, we're going to have to do uh, cause we still got to do 10, 11, 12 on up to like 35, but we got to do one through 10 as well. So we're going to do one and 10 next week. We'll make sure we hit them all. I'll keep track. Okay. So let's do the zero. So now the zero is fun. Cause this is a number that I feel like has had a whole lot of history at a Swigo and some really cool drivers. So let's just dive into it. We didn't take a long time with the O nine. So let's do the zero. Um, all right. So I, I'm pretty sure that before my day, which means before 73, first of all, I know Todd Gibson was zero. Um, and I remember reading in a program. Now, let me see here. Jack Murphy bought a Gibson car, but Jack was running someone else's car. So Jack put, I think, Ronnie Wallace in the zero for a classic. 
So we got to throw Ronnie in there because he was a zero. And we got to throw Todd in there. Now, um, I believe that... Uh, I don't believe Tony Lavati was ever a zero. I think he was double zero. So he wouldn't be in there. So let's see. Todd Gibson was the zero. Then Ali Silva, of course, was zero. Um, and sometimes he, you know, probably had to change the number if he came and Todd was there because Todd would have the number registered. He was a regular back then. So Ali might have been like, oh, three or something one, whatever, but I think Ollie was zero as well. Um, Boy, let's see. Todd then went on to Indy. So who would have been the next zero? I want to say that would have been the, the Danny Sewell car, the old upright, when it was sold to Robbie Stiles. I think Robbie made it zero. So I'm going to throw that out there. And then, of course, somebody will probably tell me that was not true. But I think he I think he changed it to zero. So I think Robbie would have been the next one. Um, Let me see. Who next? So. Um, gosh, because Todd. Todd would come back, but he wasn't zero again until the mid eighties when they had the Graves cars. Did anybody, there had to have been a zero had to have been somebody who would have run the zero. Oh, here's an, here's a, here's one that comes to my mind for no good reason at all. There was a night Salve automotive had built their new car for Warren Conium. This would have been, I think either 74 or 75. And they still were bringing the other one. They hadn't sold it to Mike Rizzo yet. They, and they put Johnny Spencer in it and just covered up the four and made it the zero. So, so Johnny had a zero ride. So then, uh, boy, I don't know if the zero, who would have used the zero in between. And again, I feel like I'm missing cause zero was a pretty, like popular number. It wasn't kind of a, an off the wall number. Um, boy, somebody's going to get me on this because somewhere between like mid seventies and Todd coming back, um, I'm going to say Gene Lee Gibson would have used it before Todd. So we'll put him in there. Cause I think, I think Gene Lee ran the zero when he first got hooked up with the whole graves deal. Todd, Todd wasn't running a Swigo at that point. Gene Lee was, I think that was a zero. And I, I can't believe there wasn't a zero between styles and Gene Lee, but maybe there wasn't. Um, but I feel like that's where somebody's going to get me because somewhere in that area, um, there had to have been a zero or two. I, Oh, here's another one. I think Mike Kapazinski had a zero. Now, I don't know how much it actually raised, but I think it hit the track. Now, okay, so who drove that? That was either Joe Hawksbeer, uh, Kevin Lyons, maybe? No. It was either Joe or Kevin, I want to say, in that car. And again, I don't know that that car even raced very much, but I think Mike Kapazinski had a zero. I seem to remember it had a zero. It had a weird had a like a weird looking roll cage when it was built. It was like a single 
bar, um, single bar across the top, I think, when it was first built. I think, I think, um, yeah, it was either Joe or Kevin, I want to say. And I don't know why I think it would be Kevin, but for some reason I'm putting those two things together. So, um, so I think that was in, in, and I don't even remember when that would have been, but I'm going to say it had to have been after Styles and before Gene Lee. So I think that might have been, and I don't know who else would have would have had a zero, but like I said, I feel like somebody's going to catch me on this one. So then um, it was Gene Lee and Todd, right? That's pretty much, that's, they were, either one of them were the zero and, um, I don't know that we've had until like between Gene Lee and Todd. And then of course, Timmy Snyder has it now. And so between those two, I'm not sure we had a zero again. I feel like somebody's going to catch me on this, but I think Gene Lee, Todd, you know, the Gibson family in the eighties and maybe into the nineties. I don't know. Again, I time compresses for me, but um, I don't know that there was another zero until Timmy Snyder. Um, and Tim still has it, still runs it. So, um, yeah. So I, I feel like that's, that's the zero there. There's not, again, there probably were, you know, zeros prior. I, I don't know when Gibson actually started racing, but, um, something would tell me if you went back to like the fifties and sixties, you'd find a couple zeros that maybe before Todd, I'm not sure, but, um, Todd would have been the first one that I have any kind of knowledge of. Um, and maybe there was, wait, wait, hang on. There was a guy, was it, was there a Trumbull? Bill Trumbull? Bob Trumbull? Uh, I want, maybe a Trumbull in a zero? I don't know. Um, maybe that was, I don't know that. I'm not too sure on that one. So don't, don't. That, I'm not going to say it was. It just seems like for re- some reason I remember a Trumbull maybe in a zero. But but um, but uh, um, okay. So that I'm I'm out. <laughs> I'm out of uh, out of zeros. So if anybody else had a zero, let me know. Um, put it in the comments and uh, let's let's get that going. So I I've got all I can get of oh nine and zero. So there's both of them for you. Um, and, uh, you guys can fill in the blanks of the question marks there. Cause that's what this whole segment's about. So next week, next show, we will do one and <laughs> one and 10. Um, and boy, again, that that's, that's going to take a while because the numbers one and 10, I mean, obviously 10 has one major driver, right? The one car probably is most associated with one big time legend, but there are a lot of guys. Okay. A lot. There's a lot of stuff to talk about with those numbers. Um, in, in, in some memorable races and just things. So that'll be fun. So we'll do one and 10 on show one ten uh, next time. Okay. Let's transition now and go back in time to 1972 and do the 72 season rewind. And again, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take us back to race number two of the season in 72 program. Number three, this one had Jimmy Champagne on it, 
We're going to sort of restart this from this point, go through and, um, and go forward. Now we do not have program four. I do not have program four. So whatever race happened after this, if somebody's got program number four from 1972, which would have been the third week of racing. And they want to, if you want to photograph the, you know, basically all the article, all the articles, you know, not so much the pictures, but the articles, um, or you can photograph each page if you want. I don't need the ads, um, but, uh, and, and send them to me. Uh, I would be grateful and we'll give you a shout out. Um, if anybody has program number four from 1972, that would be our next one. Otherwise we'll go to five, which would be a race four. Cause remember, you know, the first program of the year is always the preview, right? Um, they haven't run a race yet. So that's why the, the, the there's differences in the numbers. Okay. So this program had Jimmy Champagne on it. And um, I believe that Jimmy had won the opener. So this, now we talk about week number two of that season. And if you think back to 1972, we were just starting to get into, you know, we had from 70 forward, I would argue was, it was basically becoming the Jimmy Champagne decade, right? It was the decade of the pine. Um, Jimmy had won his first race in 67. And uh, I'm sure that he had won um, in you know, either 68 or 69, at least once, um, I would think either season or both, at least one win. But from 1970 forward is when Jimmy really just lit up the place. But, but from 70 through about 73, Nolan Swift was still super competitive, even into 74, he was still super competitive. And this is where you kind of had the Swift champagne battles, but then you had it. It just was a who's who. I mean, in, in those days we, we were developing more of the roadsters, but you still had uprights. You had sprint cars. You had X Indy cars. You had rear engines. You had front engines. You had, well, I don't think that, no, the side engine close car wasn't out yet, but but I mean, there was probably other, I would assume there was at least one other side motor car, sidewinder. Um, but you had, I mean, all the biggest names, Gibson, Baker, McLaren, Graves, Macrath, Letcher, Cheney, Stelter. Um, my gosh, I, I probably missed five dates. Um, Conium, you know, the Canadian Spencer, um, or if you're from Maine, Spencer, um, <laughs> You know, you you just, Silva, I mean, it was incredible in those days. The talent and where they, I mean, how far they came. Because Supers back then in that time period were more of a national class. You had Super Modifieds everywhere. So you get guys from Texas, Kentucky, the Pacific Northwest. You get them from, you know, we had Skip Manning from, what was it? Bogalusa? Is that how it, Bogalusa, Louisiana? Um, you know, the, the, one of the ori- original race and Cajuns, right? Um, you know, you, you, 
Johnny Logan. You had drivers from Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. I mean, the Midwest, um, you know, it, it was, there were, like I said, there were supers everywhere back then. And this, so in 1972, we were in sort of the throes of all of this ingenuity um, and engineering and, um, all, you know, all of uh, innovation, um, you know, it's run what you brung, basically. You know, motors, cars, um, you saw different tire combinations. It's amazing to look back at the pictures, you know. And, and the interesting thing is that um, I show some of the old-time cars, like, for example, uh, the, the, the Reichert car, the Turner Brothers car with a blower. I show a picture of that car to um, a, a go-karter who is going to school, college, for engineering. And you just watch the eyes get huge. Like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's like, this is what I grew up with. And so when I get a little passionate about how we don't hype supermodifieds correctly or well anymore... That's why if, if you want to know why I love these history references, that's why it's because this is what's missing from the super modified conversation anymore. You know, we have all these current cars that look basically exactly alike. They've all got the same tails, the same noses, wings. Um, you know, you can hardly see the driver anymore or what they're doing with the car. Um, they're, they're like, you know, they're, they're, I mean, I'm, they're, they look cool, but there's no, there's no difference. You can strip the car or the paint off of all the cars in the Oswego pit area and just like empty the pit area of people and trailers, like any identifying marks, you'd have a hard time telling between them. That wasn't true in 1972. Even when I started 73, it's only a year later at five, I could strip the paint off of every car there and tell you exactly whose car it was character and different indifference there was a lot of difference back then and that's what made this fun so and the talent level was off the charts every week at oswego in the 70s was a freaking all-star race it you didn't even need to get to classic to get the best they all just showed up on a weekly basis and so I, I just love talking about these old time race events because it gives us a chance to mention names that you don't hear much anymore. Um, so week two, race two, 1972, who wins the feature? Baldy Baker, my uncle. No, he's not. Um, I wish he was. <laughs> Baldy Baker wins the headline Baker over Macrath in 45 with an exclamation point. Now, again, think about that. Two of the most colorful personalities in the history of the Oswego Speedway, first and second, same track, same time, two great cars, Miles Engineering 93 X IndyCar, which I think has been put back to its IndyCar status now, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, I mean, I think we we talked a lot when we did uh, show 93. I think we highlighted the drivers of that car. But Baldy was driving it then. I think it was his first full year in it. And um, he got his first win. So 
And of course, Norm Macklin was in the Hager, Hagen Howard 40. Again, another one of the legendary cars of the track. I think that was the one at that point with the hot pink wheels, wasn't it? I think it was. Okay, so here we go. Baldy Baker of Stroudsburg, Ohio, stroked his Miles Engineering Special Car 93 to a car-length victory over Norm Mackrath in last Saturday's feature event. It was the first feature victory recorded ever for the popular pilot at the East Albany Street site. In addition, Baker cleaned house, winning both his heat and his semi-event. He pocketed nearly $1,300. Now think about that in 1972 dollars. You could go to the Speedway restaurant and get a steak for like four bucks. Thirteen hundred bucks for his night's work. When starter Norm Bacon dropped the green flag to start the 45-lap grind, Baldy came from his second row outside slot to grab the early lead. Once in front, he opened a huge lead over the rest of the field. Nick Rowe, Kenny Andrews, Doug Sire, Norm Mackrath, and Freddie Graves. Again, we could stop there. Nick Rowe, one of the best to come out of Michigan, driving for Claire Trierweller, one of the legendary teams of the, of the, the Midwest. And what do they call that series? Trisec? Um, Kenny Andrews, one of the best ever to come from Canada in that number 55, which had more bars and, I mean, <laughs> you know, pliers hanging off. I mean, you know, Kenny was great. He was an insurance salesman, I think, wasn't he? And it was one of those Jekyll and Hyde things. Nicest guy off the track, put the helmet on him, and he turns into uh, a monster. Uh, Doug Sire, another great Canadian, beautiful yellow 72 uh, at that time. Norm Macrath, who we talked about, another Canadian. And Freddie Graves from Central New York, who was at that time a young engineering-oriented guy, you know, who had... who. Um, was now driving the 37 car, the orange uh, car, one of my favorite cars of all time. Freddie Freddie did really well with that. Put on a fine battle for the number two spot as those pilots ran side-by-side for laps, trying to improve their positions. On lap 19, a caution flag caused interruption in the race as three drivers tangled coming off the second turn. Once the race was restarted, Baldy once again blasted off to a commanding lead. Lap 24, Norm Macrath pushed his Hagen Howard Chevy into second spot and began cutting away at Baldy's lead. These two drivers began opening up a good distance ahead of the rest of the field. Two major battles erupted for the first and third spots. Baldy and Norm for first and third spot among, listen to this all-star list, Rowe, Andrews, Graves, Sire, McLaren, who was in the Flying Five that year, Gibson, that would be Todd and Silva, Ali Silva, Dynamite Ali. Baldy continued to find the right route to stay ahead of Norm, but late in the event, they came up on heavy traffic, and many times Norm pulled alongside Baldy, but he could never get by. Baldy Baker came charging down to receive the checkered flag for the first time ever at Oswego in the 93. Storm and Norman Macrath right behind for second spot in the blue number 40. Kenny Andrews took third spot after a torrid battle with Don McLaren, who finished fourth, and Ali Silva guided his sprinter number 03 to a fine fifth-place finish. Now, there's a case. That car was a zero, but Todd was zero. He had the number registered first at Oswego, so Silva renumbered 03. That was the, um, that was the, the sprint car that he ran. Um, 
I think he owned that, didn't he? Did he own that? Or was that the was that the Dave Kane? Was that the Kane speed cat car? Somebody can fill me in. I, I can't remember. I think that was the one it? Because didn't like Cheney drive that a little bit and Bentley drove it before him? I think that was that was the speed cat car thing. Um, other feature finishers in order were finishing sixth, the zero of Todd Gibson. Finishing seventh, the 37 of Freddie Graves. Eighth, the 04 of Bobby Stelder. Ninth, the 13, the Shamrock 13 of Irish Jack Murphy. That may have been his best ever finish in that car, by the way. Um, finishing 10th, the 12 of Nick Rowe. Finishing 11th, the 59 of Jimmy Winks. Finishing 12th, the 72 of Doug Sire. Finishing 13th, the 31 of Jimmy Gray. Finishing 14th, the 33 of George Boss. Finishing 15th, the 19 of Jim Cheney. Finishing 16th, the 80 of Ron Madison, and that, I believe, would have been the old Swift uh, convertible, the modified converted into a Super. I think Ronnie was driving that that year. Other feature finishers, the 6 of Johnny Burkholder. I don't remember that him being in a 6. I remember him being in a 21 or an 11. I can't remember which. Um... The 74 of Bob Seelman out of Michigan. The 4 of Tommy Rose. The 17 of Bernie Grant. The 23 of Jim Muldoon. The 77 of Dom Mucho. I did not remember Dom starting in 72. I was thinking in 74 he was a rookie when he ended up um, losing his life, unfortunately. Um, and Daryl Peckham rounded out the field in the 44. Heats were won by Baldy Baker, Norm Mackrath, and Jim Champine. There's three of the best ever, right? The semifinals, Kenny Andrews and Baldy. And the consolation was only five laps, and Ali Silva won it. Now, you may wonder why the Consi was five laps. Well, so um, I'll tell you in a moment. Here's the editorial which was written by George Caruso Jr., by the way. At least I think it was. I know he wrote about I don't know if he was the only one, but... Um, editorial. Last Saturday evening was definitely not one of the better nights here at Oswego in more ways than one. First off, the weather was absolutely horrible all day. Finally broke at 7 p.m., and after several hours of working the 5 8 mile course with push trucks and super modifieds, the track was ready for racing. The third heat was delayed better than half an hour when two brand new super modifieds rammed the outer fence between the first and second turns with one car punching a hole in the steel retainer. Now, you may be wondering at this moment, wow, who are those cars? Stand by. We're going to tell you in a minute. With no intermissions and running close to two hours behind, the semis were quickly run off. During the second semi, Jimmy Champagne's eight ball began to smoke. At first, it was thought that a tire was going, but the smoke later proved to be an oil leak from the base of the engine. So, again, you would think that that would, would have required some pretty good cleanup, right? So taking more time when they're already behind. Attempting to get the feature underway as soon as possible, the Concy was shortened to five laps and no warm-ups were allowed before the Concy. And I don't remember... 
I feel like that might have been the last year or the only year would ever be that they did warm-ups before the Concy. I don't ever remember that in my younger days. It may have, maybe it was the case, but I don't remember a pre-Concy warm-up. Um, uh, I remember something cool about actual warm-ups from back then, which I can talk about in a bit, but um, I don't remember and I wasn't going in 72. So I, and I don't think that continued after that year, but somebody can correct me. Um, Champagne and crew working frantically were unable to get the eight ball on the line before the balance of the field was all on the track. So apparently this is a bit, this was a bit of a controversy. So now they're explaining it. The rule specifically states that all cars must be on the racing surface before any cars pushed off to start a race. When cars are pushed off and the pit light goes red. Now, again, I, I don't recall that this being a thing. Um, but apparently then it was no other cars will be allowed on the racetrack. Thus the white flag had nothing to do with it. He was out of the show before this time. I can side with the many champagne fans and their feeling that had it been any other night when we weren't delayed for literally hours by weather in a major crash, he would have had the extra time from the longer Concy and the pre-Concy warmups and would conceivably have made the show. Why is getting the show over with on time so important? Now, remember, this is 50 years ago, 50 years ago. Why is getting the show over with on time so important? The speedways within the city limits and many thousands of people in the area don't appreciate going to bed with the noise of 24 roaring race cars. I hope many of you Champagne fans can see our side of the story now. So we switch to Ivor the Driver, which was always the first place I went when I got the program. This was the gossip column. This was George Jr. Um, here we go. First off, the condition of Nolan Swift in car. Remember we said there was a violent two-car crash and one of the cars broke the wall. Well, it was Swifty. Nolan was admitted to the hospital after last week's feature event. X-rays were taken and showed no broken bones. No one is just very bruised from the tremendous jarring. Ten pins is not too bad at all. Mainly broken suspension parts. The frame does not appear to be damaged. Who else was in the crash with Nolan? Jeff Bodine. His rear engine sustained some suspension damage, but he'll be here tonight, according to Ivor. So no one probably going to miss... I think Ivor was... Hinting that Nolan may miss some time healing up or whatever, but um, Jeff um, would be back. Brian Osgood, the aforementioned flying Brian Osgood, says, quote, maybe for this week and probably next week for his new super. Ollie Silva, who will become a regular here at Oswego this year, again, 1972, is installing a big 427 in the little 03. If anybody can handle it, it's Ollie. Baldy Baker left here Saturday and went to Sandusky Speedway to put together a clean sweep there as well. He says he can still get more out of it yet. Wow. I wonder what was ailing Gibson's car last week. He sure didn't look like his old self, says Ivor. Just completing a new roadster is Euclid, Ohio's Tinker Joe Martinsic. One of the coolest nicknames and name combinations ever. Tinker Joe Martinsic. We hope to see him in competition in Oswego soon. Now, I wonder if that didn't Jim Shirey start in a car years later that Tinker Joe built and ran, but that was a rear engine. So I don't know if it's the same car or not. Um, Ivers predictions. Apparently there were twin fifties 
this night coming up. Uh, the first 50 picked Champagne, Baker, Macrath, Gibson, and Graves. Then the second 50, Macrath, Baker, Champagne, Andrews, and Gibson. Let's see what else we got here. Um, okay, how keen is your memory? So we're going to do some trivia here. I'm going to tell you the question, give you a second, and then I'll answer it. So, I mean, there's no prize here. You're on your honor, but just think, think about this. So first question, um, he won, he won the 1969 and 1970 Delaware International Speedway Track Championship. Who is he and what car does he drive? Norm Macrath, the Hagen-Howard Chevy. Delaware's in Canada, for those of you who don't know. Which driver lives in Strasburg, Ohio? This ought to be easy. I just talked about him. (laughs) Baldy Baker. This driver's wife's name is Faye. Who's her husband? Ronnie Wallace, driver of then the Dick Dummigan number 90. Let's see. He won the 1969 Oswego Track Championship. Who is he? Kenny Andrews, of course, from Canada. Uh, Who drove the Herngraf Car 15 from 1964 to 1969? And those of you who are younger in our audience are going, I don't know any of these answers. Well, it's from 1972. Just listen, you'll learn some things here. There's no prize. We're just having fun. It's history. Study up. The answer is Mark Letcher, current pilot then of the number 29, which was owned by Dick Rayner. Um, and I, I think that car was known as the Otisco Bomb. I think that was the car that was known as the Otisco Bomb. Somebody can correct me on that. One of my favorite nicknames, the C-15, the Otisco Bomb. All right. I won. Oh, sorry. He won the 1963 International Classic. He won the 1963 International Classic. Who is he? Know this one? The old gray fox, Nolan Swift. Um, you know, you you it was... Um, it was his uh, second classic win. Now, if you if you ask that question of any year in the 60s, you got a 50% chance of being right if you say Nolan Swift. <laughs> you know, his last win was, what did he win? He won back-to-back in 71 and 2, right? And he went again after that. But, um, yeah, he was pretty much the classic in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, the, the, this driver, this is question seven, this driver drove car one third. Yes. The fraction car one third in the 1965 season. And one night he flipped it between turns three and four. Who was it? Big daddy. Don McLaren was the driver of that car. I remember seeing a picture of that flip in an old program. All right, question eight. Which top supermodified driver also plays, and again, this is 1972, 
which top supermodified driver also plays professional hockey with the Detroit Red Wings. Now, again, think about that, if you will. We had a supermodified driver at Oswego Speedway 50 years ago who was also at the same time a professional hockey player. He was a goalie. Animal Andy Brown from Hamilton, Ontario. Okay, that's pretty incredible when you think about it. Question nine. This Canadian retired from auto racing at the end of last year, so the end of 71. Who is he and what car do you drive? This Canadian retired from auto racing at the end of last year. Who is he and what car do you drive? This would have been the end of 71. Harvey Lennox, former driver of the number 70. And for some reason in my head, I'm connecting him to a Tammy 10. And I'm and I'm the reason that I make that connection is because Doug Didero had a had at the end of his career Tammy 10 media on the car. I have no idea again if there was a relationship there, but I, I want to say there was a Tammy 10 at Oswego back in those days, and I want to say it was Harv that drove it. But again, somebody will correct me. 70 might have been a renumber because obviously Nolan Swift. Okay, so uh, let's see. Last question. Well, this is a hard one. In the 1971 Twin 50s, these two drivers each won one feature. Who were they? Nolan Swift and Jimmy Champagne. See what I mean? The se- <laughs> that was their era in the 70s, I'm telling you. It was, it was all about them. Um, there was an article by John Hill. Not going to read this. Um that uh, detailed Bentley's heartbreak at Indy didn't quite get in. Um, there was another article about Dick Ludgate, who was a mechanic on the Ronnie Buckner 36. What else do we have? Um, so we have a page of pictures. The Oh, these are the pictures from the uh, Jeff Bodine Nolan Swift crash. Gosh, Swifty hit that thing a ton. Wow. Um, The bottom picture shows the wall. The outer steel fence gave way under the tremendous impact at its quarter-inch plate and was reinforced by several quarter-inch by six-inch plates at the back and a three-eighths-inch angle along the top. The force of the collision broke all three. Whew. Thank God for foam blocks later, right? Um, Three pictures. Next page. McLaren, Rowe, and Silva... Low, middle, and high. Silva's sideways. Dirt tracking it um, on the top. That's fun. Um, long before there was Ross Chastain, there was Ollie Silva. Uh, the new Flintstone Flyers Zero, piloted by Todd Gibson, is pictured. And um, gosh, you can see by that picture. Because you look at the picture, and it's Todd with a push truck behind him in the pits. And somebody is getting ready to come out as well. I can't quite tell what car that is, but um, there are puddles of water all over the place. So it was obvious that was a really wet, wet night. Um, and then there's a nice picture of the Gerhardt engine car that Jeff Bodine drove. And that was his maiden voyage, I guess. And uh, uh, obviously ended with him, him crashing with Nolan. Now, this is interesting. Again, we talk about history, okay? The big question, here we go. 
Many classes of race cars, such as Indy, Indy type, Indy cars, sprints, late models, etc., have resorted to putting a cubic inch limit on size engine they can compete with. What do you think of doing the same sort of thing in the supermodifieds? This was asked 50 years ago of the drivers back then. Jimmy Champagne, only when the safety factors jeopardized. Jeff Bodine, it might make it a little easier for everybody, but I can't see any reason for it. Jack Murphy, good idea. Keep expense for the moderate racer in line. Ronnie Madison, then it wouldn't be open competition. You see, we were having debates way back 50 years ago about stuff. Nick Rowe, good idea. Kenny Andrews, good idea. Freddie Graves, I don't agree we should put a limit on engine sizes. Prices of engines would go up to be competitive. Interesting. Bob Seelman took a more practical response. It wouldn't be a super modified if you started restricting it. Hmm. John Burkholder, gee, I don't know. Jim Muldoon, no way. Bob Stelder, I don't know. Jim Winks, when it gets so big they can't handle the car, then yes. Bob, Bruce Kraft, remember him? Bruce Kraft, no. That way, This way, there's no argument or cheating. In other words, if you don't have any engine rules, then nobody's cheating, right? Because it's, it's open comp. Doug Sire, absolutely. Jim Cheney, I don't think so. No arguments this way. Don McLaren, no. Baldy Baker, no, that wouldn't be super modified racing. And John Claflam, no way. That's what makes, um, I, I think he meant racing or whatever. I can't see the, the word there. There's a word that, that got cut off the page. But um, no way, that's what makes racing, we'll say super modified racing, so good. Um, so again, interesting that, you know, even as far back as 50 years ago, there were there were questions about limiting, restricting, you know, yada, yada. Um, okay, new machinery for 72, full page of six photos. Don McLaren's new Flying 5, the ex-Nolan Swift car from like 60, what, 8, 7, 8, 8, 68 or 9 to uh, 71. The car he won the Classic with in 71. Um, beautiful paint job. That was the start of the, boy, the, gosh, the Bali 5s. Oh my goodness, the stars and stripes and, and just, they were just beautiful. The new Nick Virgo, Jim Muldoon, 23. Red Barnhart's new 66, which was sold later. He was, I think Mike Losher drove it as the 88 after they, they thought it was red. He just couldn't drive anymore, so they let him go put Losher in it. Um, he ran into spell, then they sold it and uh, became the 29 for Mark Letcher in 74, then the 76 for Ronnie Wallace in 75, and we all know what happened that year with Wallace. He won big. Um, new Red Creek Rocket, Kempton Dates, Ron Buckner's new 36, and the new Steve Joya 9 piloted by John Clefham. Uh, article on George Boss. Um, by the way, there are some of these... I, I'm not reading through these articles because I have a plan. You'll, you'll see what the plan is coming up soon. Uh, but I have a plan for some of these articles I'm not reading. You don't say. Uh, this was, again, if you're listening for the first time, there used to be a page in the book. It was called You Don't Say. It was candid shots of drivers and people in the pit area, and they would make up funny or hopefully funny captions. Some of them were inside jokes, and some of them were just pure comedy. Jim Cheney, who is always known as a ladies' man, in the driver's meeting, 
Hey, just what we've needed. Topless trophy girls. <laughs> Says Jim Winks to somebody. Does the, the person's back is to us. You know, I think I'm getting the hang of this car 59. Only I still can't find that lead shoe. Eldon wore on his right front yet. Eldon Schrader drove the car before him and did a good job with it. Next quote picture of Doug Sire holding out his left hand, looking at his palm. Three people standing around him seem to be staring at it as well. And one of them is Claire Trierweller. It's not Trent Weller, like it's in the program, but it's Trierweller. So we'll say it right. Says Doug Sire to Claire Trierweller. I read here on my palm that I should be aware of light blue, light blue race cars. There's got, again, there's got to be a, 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 an explanation. There's a story there somewhere, but it doesn't tell us. And then there's a picture of, uh, I think it's Bobby Stelter. And I don't know who the other driver, maybe Johnny Clapham. Um, but they're standing, talking to each other. And it asks you to make up the caption, obviously. Um, that was back in the day. And I think uh, they, they, they would have you submit it. And then, yeah, at the end of the season, the management will pick the caption, which in their opinion stood out from all the rest in its originality. The writer will get a season's pass for the 72 season and a lifetime subscription to the Eagle. How about that? Um, and the point standings. Um, again, we're two races into the year. Norm Macrath, 150. Baldy Baker, 108. Jimmy Champagne, 100. They are the top three. Ali Silva, fourth with 86. Freddie Graves, fifth, 84. Kenny Andrews, sixth with 67. Bobby Stelter, seventh, 50. Don McLaren, eighth with 48. Doug Sire, ninth with 47. And Todd Gibson, 10th with 30. I'll just read the rest of the names here. From 11th on back... Jim Winks in the 59, Bruce Kraft in the 87, Harold Brown in the 79, Irish Jack Murphy in the Shamrock 13, Ronnie Madison in the 80, Nick Rowe in the 12, Denny Wheeler in the 96, Bernie Grant in the 17, Jim Gray in the 31, George Boss in the car 14. I think that's a misprint. He was driving the 33. Uh, which became Tommy Leeson's first uh, 97, by the way. Uh, Jim Cheney in the 19. Leon Barnhart. Does everybody probably forget that that was his real name, not Rid? Uh, <laughs> in the 66. Paul Baumhauer in the 62. That car I don't remember. Um, I do remember Paul because he drove the double zero a couple of years later for a short time. I think he's out of Ohio. John Burkholder in the one. See, there we go. Now, um, again, in the in the results, it said car six. And again, some of these, I think, are typos. Um, I don't think it was John Burkholder. I think it was John Bozio because John Bozio drove a six car. And I think it should have been in the results, John Bozio in the six, not John Burkholder. Kempton Dates, the 28, Bruno Marchison in the 14. And again, I think that's accurate. I think George Moss, the 14, should be 33. Bob Seelman in the 74, Tom Rose in the 4, Mark Letcher, the 29, Don Mutio, the 77, the aforementioned John Bozio in the 6, Jim Muldoon in the 23, and Daryl Peckham in the 44. Um, and I'm going to read this. Um this is called expressing your views. Now, most of the, the these are fan uh, letters. This happens to be a poem, and I'm going to read it because I think it's really cool. 
um, especially in light of current events, by the way, because this poem is all about the deuce. And if you've been paying attention in the groups, the immortal little deuce, Howard Purdy deuce is being restored. And um, there have been some pictures of it that have been posted. It is just incredible to see that car again. So here's the poem from a Bob Sorrell. I don't know if he's a relation to Gary and Eric, but you would think, right? Here we go. It all began in 65 when Ronnie Lux was still alive. And if you just mentioned the Buffalo kid, the others all ran away and hid. And even though these are other days, I can still hear that announcer say, Ron Lux has found a perfect groove. He really makes that little deuce move. Now look at him move way up high. Oh man, that car can really fly. When on the track, he beat the rest. There was no doubt he was the best. But those days came and those days passed. And on came Bentley from Gloucester, Mass. The way he drove that little deuce was always hard and never loose. <laughs> he hit those turns with a full head of steam, a way in which other drivers could only dream. He drove that car without a care. He almost made it seem unfair. Bentley had that habit with every car he drove, right? He'd either win or hit the wall. He had that one too for a while. He was the greatest of them all. But after 1969, when he proved that as a driver, he was fine. He told us he was all through racing here. That was bad because we hold Bentley pretty dear. If only this guy knew what was coming a few years later, right? <laughs> but just like Ronnie Lux's soul, we knew that Bentley had his goal. And the Dews fans... Still should have no fear because of another driver we have here. Now, this is 1972. He comes from way up Canada way and as good as the other two drivers, I'd say. His first name is Warren, like Bentley's last. And he really makes that deuce go fast. When they try to beat the deuce, they fail because the deuce can really well. And as long as that little deuce will run, we'll always know it's number one. And that is from Bob Sorrell. And I think that's one of the coolest poems I've ever seen in my life. That was really put together well. And how fitting, really. I mean, um, just so good to think back on the drivers that drove that deuce. Ronnie Wallace drove it. Um, he didn't really mention Ronnie. There were some other people, Andy Brown, I think, for a bit, too. And then Conium was in it. And, and I think, um, I don't. I think Warren told me in his interview that, that he didn't run the car full time. It wasn't, it wasn't a full time car. Um, but he drove it for, uh, a year or two, I think. Uh, and then, uh, he went to Salve maybe from there. Um, and, uh, Jimmy Winks ended up in it in 73 and boy, we all know, he had a couple years with it and, and just did a phenomenal job. It was, uh, that was, that was fun. That's who I remember. Jimmy was driving it when I first started going and, and, um, but learning of that car's history and that that's, it's so amazing to see these cars being restored and, and cars like that one. Um, I hope that it goes back to Bentley's when it's done. Uh, because that's that'd be a great place for it if you're not going to put it in the Northeast um, Hall of Fame where now Kempton Dates Championship car sits with um, 
Ronnie Wallace and Jimmy Champagne's cars. Uh, Jimmy's uh, offset that uh, Doug Holmes redid um, is in there. And Ronnie's track championship car and then Kemp's uh, track championship car as well. Um, and interestingly enough, all of those cars were on the track at the same time, I believe. Um, no, I actually, I think I'm wrong about that. I don't believe that... Um, the 76 car, because early in that 77 season, Jimmy didn't bring, now they may have all been on the track for practice, but Jimmy did not race the eight ball, the offset car until like midway through the year. And I think Ronnie Wallace was long out of the, because they sold all the stuff to Richie Evans, I think. Uh, and Ronnie, I think was back in, was he back in Steve Miller's car, I think? Now, it is possible that um, they could have been on the track together, uh, like I said, for practice or maybe even, I suppose, a heat race. But I don't think Jimmy ever actually raced the car at all. Steve did in 76, but see, um, well, actually, now that I'm thinking about this, technically, they would have all been in 76 at the end of the year because Steve Joya was given the chance to race that offset car at the at the last race of the year um, when he, he had a crash in practice. Now, Kemp's car at that point was blue, but it was the same car he won the championship with a year later. I'm 99.9% positive on that. All he did was change color and became the Hulk. Um, and then... Um, uh, at that point, Wallace would have still been in the 76 car. So I think that happened one time and maybe, you know, maybe, uh, Thompson, I think Jimmy, no, I don't know. I don't think, no, that would have been in 77 when Daryl drove, Daryl Peckham drove the roadster and Jimmy ran his offside at Thompson. So I think that might've been the only time that those cars were all on the same track at the same time, all on the track at the same time, those three cars. Um, but uh, the Deuce stopped racing in 75, I believe, or the end of 74, maybe. I don't know if it ever came out in 75. I don't think it did. So um, it's been a long time, and that car is just, I mean, it's iconic. So glad to see that that's being rebuilt. Hope you enjoyed that. There are some articles in uh, that program that I didn't read some feature stories about different people. Um, but um, I have a plan. So um, sit tight. Uh, okay. That's, that's it folks. I, I do want to say though, and I, I meant to say this when I came back into this segment out of the break, but I played the commercial for skips fish fry. Now skips Sean Cathcart has sponsored this show from its inception. And um, Sean is a good friend of mine. I like Sean a lot. He absolutely just, he and his team busted their butt with Skip's Fish Fry. And to hear, and for those of you who don't know, um, by the time many of you hear this show, I think, Maybe this Friday is the last day, but Skips is closing, and I'm just gutted. Now, 
he's not going to be out of the fish business. He's got the mobile uh, truck or whatever you call them, like the, the food truck, food cart, whatever you call them. He's going to uh, still be doing a lot with that going forward. And he still has LeGroff's Pub, of course, which is he tells me is doing well. But folks, um, this is why when I say support the businesses that support your sport, here's an example. Now, he, he, he talks about, you know, location and he was kind of hidden. He wouldn't he needed to probably be on first street or, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't really visible. If somebody goes downtown, you'd have to go a block over it, you know, out of the way to, to get to him. But my gosh, I would have thought with delivery being so popular now, but the, the simple fact of the matter is people just didn't eat enough skips fish fry. So now it's closing and that's, that's awful. Um, I just feel bad for him. Um, I, I will miss being able to get the fish. He, I asked him, are you bringing some of that over to LaGroff's? And he said, he, I've tried fish at LaGroff's and it, and it gets crickets. It's unbelievable. I mean, I just, that was absolutely the best fish in town. Bar none, it lapped the field. Um, and, and the portion sizes were the way they should be. Um, you know, I don't know now. Uh, I don't know where to get fish in Oswego anymore. I mean, I mean, there's, you know, Bosco's has good fish. Um, Garofalo's has good fish. I was not impressed with Rudy's the last couple of times I went there. Now, granted, it's been years. Um, but, you know, the food the last couple of times was overcooked. And I ordered, they have a little onion petals. They used to be one of my favorites. They were more petal than onion. Um, and, and again, way overcooked. Um it just and and the price just got really outrageous and i can only imagine what it is now um so you know as much as i love the atmosphere at rudy's i just wasn't happy with the food and if i'm gonna spend that much money to get food i number one i expect a generous portion and number two i expect it to be cooked well and not overcooked and so you know that i i again i don't want to you know, I disrespect Rudy's. They've been around forever, but, um, and I, I, I've given a lot of money at that place over the years as has my family, but it, it just, to me, it just wasn't the same. And skips was the one place I could go where I knew that I was going to get generous portions, like appropriate price, appropriate portions. And of course, you know, he's been at the track the last couple of years, had the infield, concession and i think at one point had grandstand too if i remember right um may still but um he was always the the pit concession and and i mean you you know you get a piece of fish and it's hanging you know four inches off the bun on either side like five bucks or something whatever it was um and again i'm going back to like 1819 so i haven't been up there since but but um, I'm sure, I mean, the price of everything has gone up all over. In, in New York, it probably is double what it is anywhere else because it's New York. But, um, you know, I just, I feel really bad for Sean Cathcart and, and his team because they they did everything they could to make it work. So um, I think if I remember right, the 16th is the last day I'm, I'm trying to get this out. It's the 13th as I record this. I'm putting it out tonight. So if, you, if you're if you in a Swiggo 
and you hear this on like the 13th or the 14th or, or the 15th, go get some fish, doggone it. Just go, go get a fish. Everybody go and just flood this, this Skip's Fish Fry, flood this place for the last few days it's open, please. If you don't want to go there, pick it up, deliver it, whatever. I, I don't know what's offered now. I don't know if he still delivers, but um, again, just please, before he closes, go support. Um, I, I really am going to miss talking about Skip's Fish Fry or having the commercial on the show because I love it. And um, that's too bad. So, um, Sean, I'm with you, buddy. And, uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, LaGroff's will uh, maybe continue as a supporter here and uh, we can talk about LaGroff's because anything Sean does, Sean busts his butt and it's good and it and it's done right. So uh, um, it's a depressing way for me to end this show, actually. But I uh, want to say thank you to Rich Worth um, and uh, and JNS Paving and also Jeff West, IPC Indy. Um, and uh, we'll see you next week. We'll talk to you next week. And, uh, by the way, new platform, hopefully by the time we do the next show, new platform will be open. If not, it'll be right after that, but, um, before Christmas. So we're working feverishly with it. We just want to have, um, a variety of content in there when we open the door to it, but, uh, going to be fun. So have a great week, everybody be safe. God bless. And, uh, again, um, please go get Skip's fish before he closes. Go support Sean. He supports racing. You got to take care of people like that. Have a blessed week. I'm Tom Baker. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.